Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, season 15, episode 6 already. And the first four programmes of this year, 547,000 downloads. So thank you very much indeed for all of you who are downloading the show and, of course, all of you who are listening live as well. It's a Wednesday evening, just after 8 o'clock in the UK. Dark and cold, but dry at the moment at Hindhoff Towers. Uh, the responsible adult has uh, just stuck her head in the studio to make sure that Nick Damon and I are going to behave ourselves tonight. We'll just leave that hanging. Uh, up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. And on a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features. Hurrah! Uh, we have some special guests. We'll be talking to Harrison Newey. As our big interview. Excellent. We'll be talking to uh, Mark Blundell. Yes, I know because we did that earlier, so that's We fine. did that earlier. Yes. Uh, ben Contra-Jewis will be previewing the uh, next round of the FIA World Rally Championship. Excellent. Uh, Nick Damon will be here. Shay Adam will be here. Um, did I say see we had a Declan Brennan as well? Uh, no, you didn't, but we do. We have a Declan Brennan, yes. Excellent. And uh, he'll also be behaving himself, I'm sure. Although, uh, from what I can gather, the responsible adult has not asked him to behave himself, so... I think it's a given, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, let's do a little bit of housekeeping to start things off. Hello uh, to uh, all of the fearful who are tuned in tonight. Dave Stillwell says, I'm looking forward to another edition. Uh, can we broadcast the Scontroversy results once and for all? Yes. Uh, yes, 58-42, jam first. End of. Simple as. Thank you. Uh, there mean... was a developing uh, story on that, though, about cheese scones. Wait, come on. Was it cheese scones or jam and cheese on scones? Well, there were. first of all, there were people who wanted to put uh, cheese onto a normal scone with jam. And then when I mentioned cheese scones, someone uh, reported that uh, they knew someone that put jam onto cheese scones. I do like jam and cheese together, particularly on a good um, Christmas cake, like a you know a really really thick, really really thick slab of uh, rich fruit cake. But it has to be strawberry and it has to be a mature cheddar. Well, I was going to say. I don't think any berry type of jam would work with cheese at all. Do you want oh, something that's... Oh, no! 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 you want something that's almost chutney-like? 
No, 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 hang on. I'm bringing in Nicky you straight away. caramelisation. I'm sorry, but I've heard you speak some rubbish over the past 12 years, but or 15 years. This is the worst yet. No. You're also going with sweet strawberry jam with a mature yes, cheese. With a very, it's fabulous. No, well. you want something like pear. No. 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 Oh, you, 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 but we're talking about the, the chair that's so mature, it's got the crystals in it. Yes, agreed. <sighs> I agree. Uh, Chris Tipper says, EFAs from me this week, work overlords. Looking forward to hearing about the F1 lunches, sorry, launches, and the Ferrari LMDH rumours. Uh, hello to Rob Chalmers, to Guffler Mom. Uh, looking forward to hear more about uh, Chinese GP and new Ferrari from RC Racing. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure. Michael Wallace, EFAs for him. A lot of people going to be catching up this week. Uh, time zones getting in the way for Michael. Uh, Jonathan Ezor has worked out the times. <laughs> Don't worry, Jonathan, we all... D- I still have no clue. It's all started with Christmas on a Wednesday for me, and I'm still trying to get myself back sorted out. Carol Brink has a beautiful day in Monterey, overlooking the beer for Midweek Motorsport. And Tim is about to shuffle his papers, but I've got time for, I think, a couple more. Uh, hello to Stephen Lloyd, listening in uh, live at home as he has a cockatoo he can't take anywhere. Very good. Neil Gardner has been brilliant on his pencils again, finishing a Porsche Carrera GT. Oh, that, that's going to get retweeted. That's outstanding, Neil, once again. Uh, sounds like a packed show tonight, says Kevin Payne. Uh, everyone back in their respective homes, starting to recover from a gruelling start of 2020. Yes, but we love it. Uh, listening live again this week, Kevin. Well done. Miles Cook, haven't listened there. Midweek Motorsport for ages. I'll be listening to the second hour on podcast because I'm taking the car to Taunton Motorsport College for a pre-season corner waiting. Excellent. Want to know why that's important? Where are you going to be competing? Uh, Listening live since uh, the first time since October, says Matt Hawkey Hawkins. Chris Suku uh, listening in while faffing and procrastinating, he says. Dustin uh, listening in tonight from the southeast US changing the cam cover and timing chain cover on a 05 S-type Jag. Ooh, brave man. Uh, Phil says, Dogs Walk, just finished, listening live for once. I've got some bits and pieces for you, Phil, which I'm going to send you in the next few days uh, for helping us out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, no apologies for absence for Spooner in Orange. Listening to all the hype of how Ferrari and Mercedes are going to go this year. We'll have our Formula 1 preview in a little while. Uh, and right turn lever listening in as usual from Central Europe Daniel O'Leslip uh, listening live we're getting ready for more Wisconsin snow more people want to know what's happening with Ferrari and LMDH James Muscat listening live Patrick Ardron listening Moni, hello Moni in the new cube, Sam Pierce listening while going through photos from the South Downs rally Ooh, 6R4, very good. James Weldon, listening live for the first time in years while editing photos from uh, Silverstone yesterday. Beautiful side-on view of the 68. Thank you very much indeed. Gonzo, listening live for the first time in 14 years from these house three hours from the south. Sarah Rigby, both tuned in in crew. Sarah and Martin, excellent. Uh, And... Uh, Jean Chauvet says apologies for my presence you don't have to do that and Andrew listening in tonight uh, do you think there's any chance Brands Hatch will replace the Chinese Grand Prix it's a thought 
but no. Uh, the papers are shuffled. Here's the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story tonight is what? Uh, well, we've already introduced Nick Damon. Yes, but... So we're going to start with Formula One. Hooray! You're vibrating me. By, or vibrato. You're vibratoing me there automatically. It's very yes. exciting. Yep. Hurrah, anyway. Well, F1. F1. Things happening. Think, are there? Well, well some things are not happening, are they, Nick? And uh, one of them is the Chinese Grand Prix. Oh, well, I, I was going for a different one. There's two things haven't happened. But the Chinese Grand Prix, as we said last week... Um, the only surprise for me is it took until today to be postponed. Absolutely agree. Um, Apparently they had a meeting about it over the weekend. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's postponed. There's absolutely nowhere it could fit in the calendar unless they uh, broke the uh, summer break, um, which is obviously in, in August uh, between the Hungarian and the Belgian Grand Prix. Olympics but around that time as well. Well, this more year. importantly, that four-week break is, is written in stone. And ah. outside of um, Mercedes, um, not many of the teams are that keen to go to China anywhere on a good day, let alone a, a rearranged day. So Anyone who's ever tried to get a visa to mm. go and work in China will know how painful it is. Yeah. Yes, the only, that's, that and, would be me. And the only company selling any, any interesting numbers of cars in China is Mercedes. So, yeah, it's not going it, it, you know, there'll, there'll be some humming and ahhing, huffing and puffing, but it won't be rearranged, and we'll have a month's break between, I think, Vietnam and, between the two, actually, between the two new races, between Vietnam and uh, Zandvoort. Mm. So, it's been suggested that uh, they could have it in the village hall once the badminton finishes. Mm, Dex has said that. If, if wet in the hall, yes. Yes. Uh, all parties will take the appropriate amount of time to study the viability of potential alternative dates for the Grand Prix later in the year should the situation improve. Yeah, well, this, this is, was, supposed to be, this was supposed to be the biggest year ever with 22. Um, it's going on 21. There's no way you can put it at the back end of the year, not only because of fixture con- congestion to give a, in a Premier League uh, slant, but also because the temperature falls off the bottom of a cliff. And so the temperature in November and uh, December is about 8 degrees the hottest it gets to so uh, people don't want to be cold smoggy and bored in China so uh, Gonzo has said 22 Grand Prix are too much anyway so just getting rid of it's not an issue is it couldn't agree with you more but Mm. they want to go to 25 I think it's a mistake and you know but as has been proven many times I'm not the person running F1 even though I think I make a damn fine stab at it uh, the FIA Formula One community looks forward to racing in China as soon as possible and wishes everyone in the country the best during this difficult time I mean, it's my, it, that literally is force monsieur. What are you going to do? So they've made the right decision. Listen, there's more than a thousand fine. people died of of yeah. the SARS, the latest version of the SARS virus, which we've now got a call. Uh, COVID 2019. 19, yeah. yeah. Hash 19. Yeah. yeah. Um, when was the last yeah. time a Formula One race was cancelled? Uh, was it the Bahrain Grand Prix or the Civil Unrest, wasn't it? Uh, yes. What year was that? Oh, gosh, it's 13, 14? Earlier, 2011. Really? Wow. Yes. Doesn't time fly when you have an uprising? Uh, what are the chances of it being moved to Jerez like they used to do in the north 90s? Well, that mayor's gone now, so there's more of a chance um, because they got banned forever because the, uh, after the 1997 Grand Prix where the local mayor insisted on being on the rostrum yes. uh, toward it, even though it wasn't supposed to be. And they, yep. uh, Jerez got... A, 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 I assume that ban has now failed as Bernie is no longer running yep. the event. And I'm sure the mayor, many, many years, in the intervening 23 years, has left his job. Yeah. 
but the answer is no. There's, there's, there's enough races. They don't need any more races. Yeah, they've, they've now got a, four, a rather convenient four-week gap, actually, after the first three going to Europe, which is going to enable people to uh, develop their cars when they've made Does mistakes. Anybody who thinks it's just a question of, of picking some circuit out of the air is, is really not thinking because everything is contingent on everything else. So all the plans are made through the year yeah. for how freight is going to go from where to where to yeah. where to where. And we've got, haven't we got a four this year? There's no fours, no. They, 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 there's, there's a triple, though. There's a back-to-back a week. No, they, they ban the triples. Right, so there's a yeah, couple of back-to-backs. Yeah, it's back-to-back, week, back-to-back. Right, okay. So... So you can't just slot things in. It's, I mean, you can pick any... You, you could say Cadwell Park, or as Dex has just said on our text, <laughs> Cadwell Park or... Um, oh, hang on. Cadwell Park, we can't have. Nick's just... Uh, as Tim's just pointed out, there's a track here that weekend. Yeah, good point. All right. So you can't just drop these things in, Nick, because it's all contingent. People have made their plans. This is the issue that people are having with FIAWEC having moved to quarter. And having to change all their travel plans, and certain teams haven't turned up there. Yeah, I mean, it's. Or it's, won't turn up there. You know, it is a unfortunate situation. I, I think the postponement is a little bit of a sop to the Chinese organisers. You know, we, we all know it'll be um, postponed for 12 months and then reappear in next year's calendar county for next year's championship. Yeah. Um, whether it ever gets officially cancelled, who knows? But it's uh, it, it just, I mean, it's not, you know, if there was a 16, 16 race season, yes, you could probably find some at the back end to fit it in, but it's not. It's, it's absolutely blocked. And the teams actually don't want to do extra races. So to put it back in again, they've got to unanimously vote for it and they're not going to. Surely if it was never cancelled and only ever remained postponed, they wouldn't be able to declare a final championship result because there'd be point. one event pending? Um, I assume that's a very good point, Tim. I'm sure the Motorsport Council will, will, would then, in November, October, declare it null and void. Happen, yeah. Listen, we've got teams who can't go to the Asian Le Mans series this weekend because they're based in China and can't get out. There's one team that's actually based in Wutan. Uh, and in uh, which is the epicenter of the current version of the SARS uh, outbreak, and you know, so we're talking quite serious matters here. And as I say, uh, there's far more going on than worrying about well, they've, whether they've it's called a off of the Asian GT festival at Sepang. Even, even though the the Asian Le Mans at Sepang this week, they've called off the Asian GT festival. I think there's more come from China. They've just called off a massive mobile phone conference in Barcelona, the biggest mobile phone. And you imagine how big that is. Conference mm. in the world has been called off in Barcelona because companies are pulling out one by one by one. Um, the, the Asian GT Festival, though, one of the support races there was the Chinese GT Championship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, sometimes, sometimes, much as we love to live in our little bubble of motorsport, the real world comes in, and this is part of it. And people are making the right decisions for the right reasons. Great. And just move on. More F1 news, I suspect. It's lunch season. It is. Uh, I did read that as lunch season. Ah, you know, even that's quite good news, isn't it? <laughs> so Mercedes have launched a car. What colour is it? They've launched a livery. They haven't launched a car. No, what colour is it? That was last year's it's car. All their ordinary colours, plus a kind of a couple of bits of red. Red, yeah. yeah. Red at the top of the airbox. And did red not the clash with the carpet at the it's, RAC, didn't it? The carpet was awful. Um, I recognised the, the venue from that carpet. Yeah. 
They've and then Tuesday, everyone... On, stop, stop, stop. But the important thing about that is the deal with Ineos, who are the petrol... Pro, sorry, oil processing company who've just bought Team Sky in cycling. That is a five-year deal, so perhaps they're not giving up next Tuesday. And perhaps they are going to leave for the long term. And it's owned by the richest man in Britain. Yes. And we'll come on to that later. Okay. Uh, Ferrari uh, launches on Tuesday. If it's yes. Tuesday, it must be North East Italy. Almost, almost a proper in a village launch. hall. Yes, almost a proper launch. You know, with the, the Spice Girls weren't there, which kind of let it down slightly. But they had, a, you know, they had acrobats. They had an orchestra. Oh, really? Yep, they did a proper launch, the first time in years, and a, a kind of a. But they la- but they they launched the same livery that they've had since 1952. Yes, but that actually was a car. This oh, that was, was this, the car. this year's car. Well. Because the, the, the Mercedes was last year's car in this it's year's livery, was livery it? launch, yeah. Not an Andy Blackmore livery, either yeah. of them, because they yeah. were both ugly. I'm afraid. Uh, and then there's yeah. been a Red Bull launch. What colour is the Red Bull? Red Bull colours are exactly the same, exactly the same as last year's, down yes. to the, the Pico millimetre. Well, presumably it doesn't have Aston Martin on the rear wing. No, it does this year. Aston Martin for this year. Okay. Uh, and they launched it in one photograph, that was it, and then they ran it as a testing day, uh, sorry, a filming day, at Silverstone today, so they've actually oh, run they? the car around. And then, best and of then all, Renault. What colour's their car? Who knows? Because they they launched the car, but the car wasn't there because it wasn't ready. <laughs> so they launched some black and white renderings, I think, or perhaps colour renderings, what it might look like. So Fantastic. effectively, they launched nothing. They've done a render launch. A render launch. This is brilliant. They all turned up and they all went, Ah, oh, what do you think of the car? I've not seen it. What do you think of the car? I've not seen it either. What do you think of the car? We've not seen it. Hang on, didn't McLaren launch his colour scheme as well? No, that was the Indy car. Oh, okay, right. No, Sorry, the IndyCar launch for the right. colour scheme. Yeah, so the, the, the net result of all this launching is that, really interestingly, okay, John, right. The regulations this year are for once exactly the same as last year. So what do you think that means to the cars that have been launched? And well, they've all changed. How about the other one? <laughs> They're all the same. Um, they, they haven't, though, because Ferrari says that this is... Oh, can I use my fake word? What? Extreme! Yes, they've gone to the far end of a you-know-what yeah. to develop the car. Yeah. And everything's yeah. changed. No. Everything's changed. Well, it's all it different. It doesn't help when they actually use last year's wing on the front of it to begin with, the front wing. Um, they've done some packaging. They've done some, some clearing up and everything mm. else. Um, but basically, the cars are very similar. And they're, and, they're, and they're trying to... What they've all sat down and done is worked out what didn't work last year. But we can't design a car from scratch because it's it's too much of a risk so they've taken what they've got and they've gone right we can improve this that and the other and the fry have made some detailed changes and some packaging improvements and, and everything else um and hoping to improve what they got red bull were very happy with how they finished the season so they've kept it much more similar they've done some clever things with air ducting through the nose they've obviously i'm sure got some more ideas and we'll see the mercedes the mercedes will also what the mercedes will do i'll tell you right now they'll be trying to reduce the drag because the car had super downforce but too much drag. So what they were trying to do is the same downforce with less drag, whereas what Ferrari were trying to do is get more downforce with not much drag. And what Red Bull were doing was just saying, look, our car's good. Let's not cock up the first three races. Let's actually start rolling properly. Um, and we won't know anything. But they aren't looking... No one's... There's no, yeah, it's not like next year where we're going to be literally unbelievably excited about the completely new cars. This is, this is effectively... You know how... You know how... Car manufacturers, after four years, launched the all-new Volkswagen Golf, or the all-new Audi A3, which is just the facelift, where they just change the lights at either end. Mm. And they go, it's all new, but it's just two new lights Not and quite, an, yeah. an Alcantara trim. Yeah. That's this year. Okay. It's all new Formula One, but it's just a facelift. 
Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 15, Episode 6. All uh, new! Stop it. <laughs> Happy New Year. Uh, yes. Happy All New Year. Where would you like to go to next, Tim? Well, we're going to stay with Formula 1. Hooray! <laughs> we're going to... Um, move sideways. Oh, hello. And uh, crab is your, is your car, about, about to say, is your car crabbing down the straight? Uh, and for this, uh, we need to introduce our uh, sport business correspondent, Declan oh, Brennan. Oh, God. <laughs> He's got a title and everything. He's got a title and everything. Good evening, Declan. <laughs> hello, uh, good evening, and welcome. Uh, you're sounding particularly mellifluous tonight, mate. Well I'm, I'm battling against a cold uh, in Las Vegas next Sunday. We've had the weigh-in. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's mixed martial arts taken to a new level where I'm fighting off a disease. <laughs> so, uh, so, and you can buy that fight for just sixty nine dollars. Yeah. So hang on. So yeah. if you beat the common cold, you're up against Corona nineteen after that. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. Well, that's that's obviously you know unbeaten. You know, uh, every 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 win by knockout. That's title unification. Uh, <laughs> that one. That that's the big one. Uh, what would you like to talk to Dex about uh, uh, sport business then? Well, of course, today was the uh, BHMSE conference, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yes, uh, Tim. I'm sure it yeah. was. Business yes. no. has many elephants. Business has many elephants is uh, one uh, option. Any other guesses as to what BHMSE is? <laughs> British Homes. Many Stop. sexy let's, elephants. Let's, let's move on because this could get very, very bad very quickly. Many, many sex Stop elephants it. in the room. Um, sorry, carry on. So, so what is BHSME or whatever you It's the benefits of hosting major sporting events ah. conference. Ah. Oh, there are almost none, is, a, <laughs> is the spoiler alert there. It's but carry a, on. It's the fourth year of this symposium, and this year it was held in the lovely Baku Conference Centre. Is there any benefits in hosting conferences about benefits of hosting major sporting events? I Definitely. Think probably is. And I think there's a conference in that. <laughs> I think, you're I right. think we should organise one immediately. Was, my, I, I, was Miami wandering around looking a bit punch drunk, going, I can't work it out, I can't work it out? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Carry on. Chase Carey Go ahead. Uh, led the first panel of the day. I'm sure he did. Where he shared his vision for how the sport and its many global promoters can work better together to deliver unrivaled, sustainable, world-class race weekends whose long-term influences will last long after the final cars cross the finish line. So its long-term influences will last long. Yeah, Is combined. That's, I love that, combined. You could start by maybe combining uh, your calendar preparation for a start mm-hmm. and combining your attitudes to each other's sports so you can decide uh, if you're really interested in the rising tide uh, floating all the boats. Uh, I, oh, God, this stuff drives me crazy because it's the, the, the sport broadly at international level talks out of both sides of its mouth all the time about everything. Uh, you know, the level of joined-up t- thinking in international motorsport is non-existent. Sorry, carry on. Can we have a conference about joined-up <laughs> thinking? The benefits of joined-up thinking. In Can we have several <laughs> conferences in different venues at the same time? See, so that, that would be what would work. <laughs> yes, the FIA. No, well, the one weekend, you have 19 conferences. The next weekend, for some reason, there's only one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Executive Car- Director of Baku, Baku City Circuit, Arif Rahimov, was also there representing the F1 promoters. Uh, all as, of them. As well as the new uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Formula 1 Grand Prix de France. Who is? Eric Boulier. Eric Boulier, correct, Nick. 
who spoke about the positive impact the return of F1 has had on the spiritual home of F1 in France and the Le Castellet region in particular since it rejoined the calendar in 2018. How is it the spiritual home when the circuit the, was only built the, in 1969? They had the France, running on the roads about 120 miles as a loop, but that's France claims Grand Prix is their idea. And in fact, Grand Prix is French. It is. Big prize. I want to ask a very simple question regarding Baku. No. I, 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 I just find the level of disingenuousness almost impressive. Uh, you know, the, uh, a, a, a Grand Prix basically propped up by a, uh, a country to promote it uh, yeah. with no economic reason to exist. And, and is, not unique in that fact in Formula Yes, one. and lecturing people on on the economic benefits of ah. of it. But that's it's amazing. Point. That it's, would be like having a human rights conference in Bahrain but, but, or Saudi Arabia, yeah. wouldn't it? I think they've done that. The thing about that is that is that effectively, very few to no Grand Prix make money, which is yes. hence the reason that the European Grand Prix struggle so much because they don't get any government cash. Mm. Correct. So that's the issue. Yes, absolutely. Bahrain puts on a very good event to nine people but it advertises Bahrain Baku has more people there but obviously it advertises Baku you know and Abu Dhabi actually in fairness to it is beginning to get quite a lot of tourists it's going, but it's, can it's, I just say it's though, about putting the country on the map literally but that's not unique because oh. when uh, Wales took on Wales Rally GB originally the whole point of the Welsh Development Agency paying for that yeah. was to get effective, effectively a four-day advert for Wales around the world and then the follow-on on all the airlines yeah, and all of that. None of this is can I give you a, John, can I give you an, an, another updated version of that? Uh, Wales was the, uh, is the host venue uh, this year, I believe, for the Nitro Circus World Finals. Right. Uh, and Wales Tourist... Yes, and the Wales, well, no, the Travis Pastrana thing. Yeah. And the Wales Tourist Board is a partner of that event globally. So uh, they're, 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 that's an extension of what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. The interesting thing about Baku is Baku uh, clearly doesn't feel it can, the Grand Prix in isolation is enough because, for example, they've gone in on, on pitching, hosting everything. They hosted the UEFA Cup final, sorry, it's now called the Europa League final last year. If you remember, two English teams had to go to Baku to play <laughs> Uh, on a Wednesday or whatever it was, it, it was absolutely a Wednesday. ludicrous. Was, yeah. Well, so, but that's like that's like Saudi Arabia having the Spanish Cup final. Italian, yeah, Spanish. outrageous. But the point about this is, and it, the Spanish most, Super Cup, it was the Super, Super Cup, Cup. and not the Cup final. Yes, so the most yes. interesting thing about this, if you ever want to work about how a country with an open open press actually looks at the value of things just every year look at the reports that the australian grand prix put out the australian grand prix organizer because they actually work say right it cost us this it caused this disruption we raise that in actual cash and then it's all the pull through yeah and it's the pull through which they say to victoria mostly the, the region and then to australia which which makes it worthwhile because it's the, the race always bottom line loses about 13 million australian dollars but it has bought I, um, this number I don't know, it's 26 million or 40 million under the counter dollars, and yeah. that's why it's worth holding the Grand Prix. You'll never get a property. That's the only, that's the only country where there's some state investment which will actually produce the numbers you can look at because obviously Baku is never going to say what they're putting in, and neither is the other country. But Baku all... actually did, didn't they? Because we reported it two weeks ago yeah, that yeah. Price Coopers 
had been brought in and produced an independent report which said that the Grand Prix was I'll worth. Fucking go back to it. Please don't nine put pounds. Uh, Please don't put irrelevant things when I'm not on the show. Five hundred and six point three million US dollars. In terms of direct and indirect revenue since F1's arrival in 2016. Oh, okay, in in four years. I actually years. think that I would believe that because no one had the faintest idea, in honesty, about Azerbaijan or Baku until the Grand Prix went there. However, uh, we've the all heard is, of Australia and Vietnam, so it'd be interesting to see what's going on there, though. I here's what I'd like to know: is I'd like to know is that more valuable than, for example, the extraordinary but real? visit Rwanda signs on Arsenal's shirts on their mm-hmm. sleeves mm-hmm. in terms of because to me it's more powerful to see Arsenal Football Club uh, w- partnering with a country to promote it uh, like because Baku and Rwanda are obviously very different but in terms of uh, being high on anyone's list of tourist destinations <laughs> I doubt they're I doubt they're there. But, but I've just you got look the at package ba- holiday at, brochure through. Yeah, but if you look at Baku. Baku even um, fake their town, don't they? They lay, you know, they, they don't fake, do as much now. They, they they lay facades in front of a lot of it. They used to to do make more. it look, people go, oh, I quite like to go there. I'm really honest, you. I've seen Monaco those. Visit, does that as I've well. seen those visit Rwanda stuff. And genuinely, if I wanted to visit Rwanda, I would have the first idea how. If I want to get to Azerbaijan and Baku, I could just stick it in kayak, and I'd know how to get there in two seconds flat. I can drive to Baku. You can't drive to Rwanda. No, well, you can. Weird. It would take you a very long time, though. It's true. Uh, moving on. Uh, just to finish off Cheap with Cheap flights to Rwanda from $702 on kayak, and I'm not joking. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's in America. I'm sure from the UK it's way more expensive. Excellent. Well, why would they be advertising for Arsenal if it wasn't? Granted, it's What's, an what's in Rwanda? The, only, the biggest problem Safari, is only thing I know about Rwanda is they had a terrible genocide. Yes, correct. Yes. Hence, no, and this is my point. <laughs> My point here is, and maybe this is purely an economics thing, but that seems to me more effective than Rwanda suddenly deciding to hold the Rwandan Grand Prix, yeah. uh, which which sounds like a Peter Ustinov sketch. I, I but, tell uh, you what, though, Tex, I reckon a lot of Arsenal fans think that Black Panther comes from Rwanda. Yeah. Shall we move on now? Here's <laughs> uh, the latest football scores to prove we're live. Can I just finish this, please? <laughs> All right, go on. Um, please do. I... Uh, saying that the uh, sponsorship of Arsenal by Rwanda was only 30 million uh, euros, that's so not a huge amount. Sorry, your sleeves are 30 million euros? Yeah, but even so. That's How many years is that? There, there are other things involved as well. Wow. Um, uh, Bristol City are 2 0 up at, uh, against Derby. I thought we just get the scores out of the teams. Thanks for that, John. That's Sorry, great. Mate, oh, that's why. <laughs> um, and whilst we, whilst and we do... also oh, at the. <laughs> BHMSE conference <laughs> oh, today, yeah. also in attendance, uh, were Elkan Mamadov, the chief executive director of Azerbaijani Football Federation. Right, right. Uh, because Azerbaijan's got four football matches uh, this summer. In Europe, oh, yes, in the, in the ever changing oh, oh, European, yeah, European Championship. Yeah. We're going to Asia. All yeah. Europe. And, All Europe. And also in attendance today was Alan Grady, representative of Galway 2020. The European City of Culture. Yes. And what a wonderful city it is too! I, 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 so let's let's let's. Uh, and if I was to week. go to uh, Heathrow tomorrow, I could get a return flight to Kigali for three hundred and fifty-nine pounds with KLM. I'm, I'm almost almost for as the much as it cost you to get to uh, Galway, to be honest. Heidi, for the next show, I, I genuinely want to know the economic impact from a tourist perspective since 2016 of the race. Like, even if we just remove the race and look at tourist numbers to to uh, to back 
Don't Don't forget, okay. in that time they had the Eurovision Song Contest final as well, Dex, so that was to send it to the roof. <laughs> didn't they have the Olympics there as well? <laughs> Olympics, Olympics, no. All right, uh, 2 nil, nil 2 one nil, one one, one one, and nil nil. You just, just like scores. to say, can I just say well done to the lads for beating Blackpool 3-2 away with a 95th minute winner. And Johnny, <laughs> Johnny, Johnny. And sucking their manager. Uh, Johnny's still in uh, in Australia, so he won't hear. And, and whilst we're doing public service announcement, congratulations uh, to Renny DeBoer, uh, whose new baby daughter arrived Aww. yesterday. How nice. And happy birthday to Miss Jax for her birthday on Tuesday. And my son, James. As, as well, was it? Yeah, 22. 22! He can't be 22. He's six foot five plus hair. He's 20 blimmin' two. That makes him seven foot three. It makes me about a If he has six. hair like hair bear, he'd have been... He does. does. No, have no, it. he does. No. He has the biggest white afro I've ever seen. Unbelievable. Does he have an invisible motorcycle? I need, well? a, co- like I need a conversation bear. with his mother, to be honest, but there we go. <laughs> Moving on. Just after half past eight, it's series In 15, episode six. Ooh, Leave it. Let's move on to uh, two wheels. Hurrah. Oh, hooray. Oh, which um, one of you was singing that? I can't remember. I, I think it was both of you. Hey, we are you have a fight. Right, leave it. Two help, wheels. Help. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're, mis- we're misbehaving. I apologise. Sorry. It's only what we expect. Uh, was a great series. It's been off, some testing, Nick. Off the yes. back of last week's what, sorry? GP. Yes, most of you testing. Uh, it's been very exciting, very interesting. Um, it's been extraordinary. Well, yes, in in many ways, the most extraordinary story I think to come out of of testing actually came out of an interview by the uh, the new um, website which we can mention called the Race, um, who got an interview with Jorge Lorenzo, and basically, this is and, a and, uh, welcoming Toby Moody to the yes. and this is a retirement for Lorenzo, which is rivaling Frank Sinatra's. Because um, he's coming back. Of, it reminds me of the joke about the bloke who, who uh, decided to kill himself because he had depression by taking 500 aspirin, and after he took the first two, he felt better. <laughs> you know, this is he 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 he, uh, he he retired and either decided after an hour and a half that retirement just wasn't for him, or this was a way of getting out of, of an, a potentially awkward situation where uh, he wasn't fit enough and Honda had clearly decided to build a bike for their other rider and uh, he was never going to get a bike that was going to be for him. Uh, it's very hard to know, but this, it's it's very odd. Honda don't even seem to mind, Nick, that they, 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 uh, they lost him. Yeah, well, I think it comes down to the fact that they both managed... It wasn't working. It was working... In fairness to Jorge, he got horrendous chain of injuries he wasn't getting on with the bike he wasn't feeling at home with it they came to an arrangement um where he got out of his second year of his contract i'm sure obviously it saved honda the money and it saved him the face and then he retired and my guess was that the part of the rule was he couldn't have a race ride so he's become a test rider I and mean, he was snapped up almost instantaneously by um by yamaha and apparently he was in sepang he was faster than his qualifying time on the honda in about half about an hour and a half about 40 laps um and now he's talking very much that he'll be doing a couple of wildcard rides, so he'll be unretired. Well, they've got him in. He's announced for 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 is the Catalan actually, Grand Prix. Is he actually announced? Because that was kind of it was. Ru- okay, ru- the wildcard, the wildcard slot is announced, and yeah. it's his home Grand Prix. So you know, yeah. the World Wild Guest Championship. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my entry in it this year would be he will be <laughs> riding in his home Grand Prix for Yamaha. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because he's basically, you know, he's. I think he completely lost the love of the whole thing. It's obviously yeah. felt hard done by some people, wasn't it? It's pretty obvious that, that it, oddly, considering he always seemed quite an insular guy, what he desperately was crying was someone to do the old, you know, Alex Ferguson put their arm around him thing. Yeah. And he wasn't feeling particularly loved at Ducati. He was feeling completely unloved at um, Honda. He's given it, I mean, obviously he's got no worries about money or anything. He stopped it. Obviously had three or four months off, feeling a bit better. Told he can do some riding with Yamaha. Been very nice to him because he's not a direct competitor. He's even getting on with um, with uh, Valentino Rossi with Valley, now. Yeah, which so is they're remarkable. all mates together. And he's thinking, you hang on, I can just do this. I can get paid. I can do some riding. I can do a couple of races. I've got to turn up every week. And it all sounds like, yeah, he's probably thinking this is this is this is great because it's just doing it for fun, which, you know, that, that you do lose that. I mean, some 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 guys can just thrive off the competition like like Rossi and some people just eventually get fed up of it like you know, Casey Stoner very quickly are we any closer to knowing uh, actually Rob Chalmers has said he's home Grand Prix which one that's three quarters of the season yeah, he is. yeah um, he's very much a Catalonian yes absolutely very um, much but fair point well made uh, to uh, to Rob there um, are we any closer to knowing what's happening with with Valley. No, because I mean, Valley will, will drop it. If Valley wants to continue, he'll drop into the Petronas team, and they've been told if he goes to the Petronas team, have a full works bike, but not in the in the in the Yamaha um, who they sponsored by Monster Yamaha team. So I think the likelihood, Nick, is that that's going to happen. I think he's going to. He uh, uh, we have to uh, take him at his word that he's going to reassess things as the season goes on. But he was fifth quickest. Uh, over in combined times, I'm, I, you can only read it, uh, uh, so much into into three days worth of combined times. But he was fifth quickest, uh, less than two tenths off Quattararo. Uh, I, I tweeted about it during the week. The, the, they are absolutely throwing everything at this. There, there were six bikes for for Rossi and and Vinales. This is the Honda effect. This is what happens when Honda do what they they've been doing. And, and well, actually, it's the Marquez effect. Mm. You suddenly realise we have. Teams who are doing on like the resources that are being thrown at Yamaha now to have effectively three factory riders because Quattararo is going to get this exactly the same level of support uh, uh, as as the, the two main riders. You have Lorenzo on top of that uh, supporting them. There is a massive effort being made, and they seem to have found horsepower. How much we don't know yet, and remarkably. Something that certainly didn't happen last year, and I don't remember happening for a while, is that we have a consensus from both riders that they like the bike. Right, uh, that is, right that now. Is, they've been had problems like going in the wrong directions. I assume that what one part of what Ross is going to have to accept is that they're going to follow the direction led by uh, Vinales and Quadrado rather than rather than him, which is fine. Um, the big the big elephant in the room is that. Mark Marquez didn't put any meaningful times down in the test because he, he can't couldn't run for long because of his shoulder injury. Yeah, which yeah. they they're making various room uh, uh, sort of ruminations is more limiting than the same operation you had on the other shoulder last year. Sounds almost like they're now saying that perhaps you know something got a little bit snipped together. It shouldn't have done. He's saying he's still got some you know nerve damage. Um, well, he's very low on strength. He can't. He literally can't use his elbow as an outrigger. He doesn't have the strength. He had two front end. Uh, falls partially because he he didn't have the ability to do what he always does, which is irrespective of 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 uh, of what degree of crashing he's in. He <laughs> believes he's gonna you know he's gonna pull the bike back up. He couldn't do that, yeah. and and he's got he's only got and, and again echoing what we talked about with Formula One, 
the season is too long now. They have one test in Qatar before they go to Qatar for the race. He he has basically got to find like 60% strength. And he's got to like he's got to get up to well he's he's at twenty or thirty he's got to be at eighty probably to be able to ride as fast as he can on that bike. He's the development uh, is now an issue because he can't ride the bike at a level to properly develop it. Cal Crutchlow was doing all of the development work effectively. Eleven million doing... laps, isn't he? he, just, he just, yeah, and of course obviously his brother Alex Marquez can't do any development because it's his first you know first runs actually on the bike. So yeah, yeah I mean I, I mean personally I believe he'll get himself back up to speed again. I've I've, I've gone through a similar recovery procedure as he has and, you, and and once you can move it you do gain the strength relatively quickly and that's just me as a person he's got two probably about 27 personal trainers sorting it all out um so so i think i yeah, think that he will he will get back to a level where he can ride but as you say the interesting point is whether they'll be behind on development when everyone else has put a massive push and people like ktm as well put massive push and apriya well. apriya have found huge have found massive strides i don't mean big trousers i mean they've made <laughs> they've uh although uh, <laughs> Actually, maybe maybe they found some big trousers as well, but but ultimately they've made massive strides, which would be they've made big trousers. Anyway, uh, huge strides. In my notes, it just says huge strides. Now I'm confused myself. But uh, the issue huge strides. (laughs) Yes, the the issue they the issue they have, of course, is they don't have a number one rider. Yeah. Well, they do, but he's he's down at club disco nose bag or whatever it is. <laughs> let's not go back so, to that with the yeah. so birds they of have... vari- various different oh, there's, there's been developments on this story which is oh, oh but he, his, his prosecutor the prosecutor his defense has had a go at the prosecutor for saying that he wouldn't they wouldn't accept scientific evidence yes they went at the hair and they dismissed the thing about it's from me and he's and he's not and then he's just not listening and i was thinking well isn't that what the prosecutor's supposed to do dismiss the defense's case that's the whole point <laughs> So, oh yeah, you're right. Good point. Yeah, let him off. So they've they they're very quick, but but uh, with the bike in the hands of of Alicia Spargo and and uh, and Bradley Smith, uh, Suzuki, interestingly, and again we'll know more at the Qatar test. But they seem to have upgraded everything. They've gone for an upgrade on everything. They haven't just decided no, the bike is beautifully balanced. We're just going to find horsepower and work from there. They've come back this year with new swing arm, new yeah. chassis. New engine. It's it's the the, and this is all. I honestly believe this is all the Marquez effect. Everybody is now. Th- but John, one last thing I'll finish with. And Nick, this is interesting. Suzuki's budgets. You suddenly realise the difference when it comes to testing. Uh, during the test, Mir and Rince had to take turns on the on 2020 the bike. bike. Yes, they had one bike. Yeah. And that... my, my mother said never to give goes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, possession is nine tenths. Um, we'll keep an eye on that. And um, actually, I need to talk to Nick about which um, MotoGP we can go to because we've had invitations. Have we? Oh yes. Oh wow. We're influencers apparently. Oh, I've heard that about yeah. that. Uh, I'll quit influenza if I win the, the fight against uh, against uh, <laughs> the common cause. You're taking all, yeah. the, taking all the viruses. This from <laughs> this from Matthew Hindman on the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective, and and this is a really interesting point. He says regarding the current outbreak of coronavirus, um, it's. It's just SARS. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't it, worry about that. No, it is. It's SARS. Um, just marketing. I, I was looking at the impact of foot and mouth outbreak in the UK in 2001, which led to the cancellation of many British sporting events, such as the Mace season, uh, British Rally Championships. Uh, one of the sporting events that impacted was the annual, at uh, this time of the year, Europe rugby tournament, the Six Nations. That was affected by the 
uh, Irish government uh, and the uh, situation. It was in part because Ireland, who had much few, fewer outbreaks than the UK, but economy that relies on agriculture, took quite tough travel restrictions to avoid the spread of the disease. Not it unreasonably. Yes, that meant absolutely. that Ireland and its fans were unable to travel to... Uh, play games in Great Britain and teams from Great Britain were not allowed to travel to Ireland. The matches involving Ireland, England and Wales and Scotland were postponed for six months. I wonder if we're going to start to see events in countries not currently affected by the current outbreak being cancelled to try and avoid the spread of the virus to that country. It might be overreaction at this stage, but uh, that was countries... That's what countries are prone to do when health is affected. I think that's a very good point, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and I think we'll see in the next couple of months, depending... We keep talking about how quick... I've been listening to a, a, and doing a lot of research into... Um, there's a number about how much it's spreading. Yes, 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 yes. And if it's one... It's not spreading very quickly. If it's if it's less than one, it's actually not spreading at all. Isn't this one point seven or something? Well, it's been up as high as depending on who you listen to, uh, almost three or almost right. five. Um, so that's quite big. So we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that. Midweek Motorsport uh, Series 15, Episode Six, and we move on to a story more uh, at home in the UK here, Tim. What do you have? Well, it's an international superstar that's uh, behind this story. Uh, at the end of last year, we reported on the retirement from uh, driving of uh, 1992 Le Mans winner Mark Blundell. Uh, but he's not retiring from motorsport completely because he's decided to go into team management, hasn't he, John? Yes, he has. And he has formed his own team with another friend of ours. Now, that story broke this morning uh, and Mark was kind enough to give us some time to speak to us uh, on the telephone. And first of all, the obvious question, I asked him uh, how he managed to put this new partnership together. I think, John, basically because involvement last year sitting behind the wheel, um, understanding the, the BTCC in terms of, you know, what it was all about, the enthusiasm, the energy, the following is, is the premier platform for British motorsport. So, um, you know, it's, it was an eye-opener in many respects. And I think actually um, competing in it was, uh, was great. But at the end of the day, I think there was something more that was uh, attractive from my side. So that's basically where we got to. Um, and, and we're now in the stage of having a collaboration with uh, Sean Hollenby and his uh, independent title championship winning team. Um, and presenting a, uh, a new player on the grid. In some ways, Mark, were you surprised last year at the level of competition? When we talked about this, um, you were right up for it. You knew it was going to be a difficult challenge. Were you actually prepared for how competitive and how difficult it was going to be? Uh, listen, I mean, I said from day one I knew it was going to be a challenge, and at the end of the day it was uh, the biggest of challenges in, in several areas. Um, you know, it's it's competitive to the point now where if you're not a full-time racing driver, you're always going to be on your back foot, and that's where it's got to, and and, and that's where it should be. Um, you know, I was uh, trying to sort of like pack it into a very busy year of uh, running a business and looking after several people and uh, making things happen. Um, could I have done a little bit more on my side? Yes. Could I have had a little bit more time? Uh, yes. Could we maybe produce some better results? Most definitely. Um, would I have been helped if I'd have had the rear wheels driving on the car rather than the front wheel drive? 
yes, also that as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we didn't. And um, Come on, mate, you got in the points a couple of times. I don't think that yeah. was bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, listen, I know there's been a lot of guys from my background who have also not had a, an easy start to a, a touring car year as well. But, mm. it, you know, the other thing as well, as I, you know, I said when I turned up, I was the oldest guy in the grid. And not that that makes any difference in that, but it just makes a difference in terms of what time I've got to allocate to it. Mm. Um, and, and the role that we've got now is palatable for my side, but at the same time, it's a platform for where we want to be heading. I mean, it's a it's a snapshot of, of motorsport in general nowadays. The days of being able to turn up on race weekend, Mark, and jump in a car, no matter how talented you are, are pretty much gone, particularly the level we're talking about at British Touring Car Championship. There'll be people listening to this that go, yeah, it's a national championship. Yeah, but it's a high-level national championship, and it's professional teams and professional drivers for the most part. And you can't just jump in on a weekend and say, ah, I'll have a couple of practice sessions. I'll be on the pace by the time we get to qualifying and, and race one. That's not how it works anymore, is it? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think if people have a view, oh, it's just a national championship, then I, I guess that applies to NASCAR and DTM yeah, and the same point. thing, you know? So um, I, I think they need to have a little bit of a, a, a wider view on that. The, it, it's the the premier championship in UK motorsport. There's mm-hmm. no denying that. Um, and as such, there's some quality teams, some quality drivers. And, you know, uh, it's great entertainment. And I think that's one of the biggest things for me. You know, I watch it. I'm entertained. I was part of it. Maybe not as entertained as I'd like to have been. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's what it's all about. And for me, you turn up on a Sunday, you get three races of excitement. Uh, with an unpredictable race result come the end of it, what more could you ask for? And that clearly all led into this decision over the closed season, such as it is, uh, about getting involved in a in a different way. Now, Sean Hollenby, we know very, very well, a, a team of, uh, of great professionalism, well-organised, they know which way is up. They've won the Independence Championship uh, before. How do you and Sean know each other and how, and how did you two get together? Uh, we, we know each other from years gone by when, you know, from junior category for me as a race driver and uh, obviously Sean's had a, had a tickle at racing in his time as well. Um, and, and we've had a few discussions over the years. Obviously, when we put last year together, which was very late, but Sean was very accommodating in helping that... Uh, be transitioned um, and, and working alongside Sean. I could see there was areas where he could deal with the operational side. I could see there were some areas where he needed some support and help on the commercial side. And I think from, you know, from our point of view, we arrived last year, we brought two of the top 50 brands in the world, mm-hmm. if you want to uh, put it that way, into the pit lane of the British Touring Car Championship. Um, you know, and I think from that side of things, all of that helped, and I think it helps the series, and it helps, uh, you know, uh, even for global awareness. I know sort of the impact that we had on several channels outside of yes. our, our, our side of things was is quite impressive for many of our partners. So, you know, that that's really where we've got to, John. We've got to a stage of trying to collaborate, see where we can bring all of our strengths, try and iron out some of our weaknesses. And, it, and hopefully it will be for the better of the championship. And yeah. that, for me, is what it's all about. It's, let's get that championship back to where it truly belongs. Um, and, you know, and I think Alan Gow and his team have done a fantastic job of uh, putting some fresh air into it. And I think you know, we'd like to be on the curve going forward. And if we're going to be talking about fresh new things, let's talk about your two drivers. 
uh, Jake Hill, we've known for a very long time. Actually, this is all, it's pretty much all of our mates, actually. You might as well call it Team Midweek Motorsport, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a thought. We'll give you some stickers. Um, <laughs> Jake Hill, we've known for a, for a little while. Second generation uh, racer. And uh, fantastic that he's getting um, a, a chance in a, a top-level team. Um, he's been around the sport for a, for a little while and a really exciting young talent. Uh, in fact, just being announced as uh, one of Andy Merrick's uh, superstars as well uh, this week. Yeah, I mean, and, and well-deserved as well. Um, and, and great to see Jake there and, and, and great for us as well, alongside our guys, Jewis and Eilat. Uh, so, again, BRDC supporting young drivers is fantastic. Um, listen, Jake is a, a hugely gifted and talented driver, uh, tenacious, uh, a proper racer. Um, I had a huge amount of admiration for him last season, working alongside him. Um, I think there's a few edges that we uh, we could round off for him, and I think that would also, you know, make him a little bit more whole and complete. And I think you'll see somebody who's going to come out the blocks very fast. Um, you know, the combination of him and the Honda, I think, is going to be one that is mouth-watering. And even as I stand in pit lane, it will be something I relish to see. Good. And, um, yeah, I think there'll be a few worried people on the grid, put it that way. No, I agree with that. Tell us a little bit about um, Sam Osborne uh, as well. Uh, start of his career uh, coming through. Um, what, uh, what, do you know, what do you know about him and what can you tell us about him? I listen, I only know Sam from being alongside him on the uh, on the racetrack. So, um, and some of that didn't end very well between me and Sam. So. <laughs> I was going to bring I was going to bring that up actually. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, we're um, we're all over twenty one, just and um, <laughs> I, I I think Sam is uh, again is is a young driver that is lacking in experience, but to you know to give him his dues, I think he uh, he did uh, a solid job and touring cars is not easy you know i mean regardless of of what level of experience and what uh, ability it just is not easy so it takes time and i think with somebody like sam uh, you know he's a driver that needs a little bit of support around him and a bit of uh, you know infrastructure and and i think with that you'll see him grow i think you'll definitely see some confidence that will you know, in, in his own right, will start to blossom. And I think that's something that, as a team, we're going to try and uh, understand Sam and also give Sam what he needs to go forward. So MB Motorsport is what we're going to look for. It's, it's the classic Mark Blundell logo in blue and yellow. From what you've just said there, though, Mark, it sounds like, well, first of all, we should say um, MB Partners continues and, and there's, there's no lack of focus there. But it sounds like these two things uh, can work in in harmony in terms of development of the drivers development of the team and clearly with your uh superb record of of dealing with sponsors and things like that we i i I suggest we might have some more announcements to come here yeah there's a lot more news to come um we've got some really exciting things planned you know mb partners and our agency uh on the commercial side is uh, is growing on our driver management side, we have got some of the, the best drivers, you know, for me, yeah, Paffitz, Conway's, Blumquist, these mm. guys are, uh, you know, established quality guys. And uh, Gary and Mike now, I'm in my 15th year of managing those guys. Yes. And uh, we have you know, great relationships. And uh, listen, this, this is not, de- it's not detracting from uh, what we do on that side and not my time either. And in fact, I'm going to be dedicating more time back into that area because, uh, that's where my, my passion lies as well. But, 
you know, it's we've got young drivers on our books, and maybe there's a channel and a platform here that some of that might be um, going full circle in the future. And you know, for me, let's see where we uh, where we go forward. It's, it's the start of something. Um, I've got lots of plans. There's a lot of vision, and both from my side and Sean's. Mm. And if we can get the right partners on board with the same vision, then then things can work in harmony. And your role then with Mark Blundell Motorsport with Sean. Um, Sporting director. Now, what does that mean, Mark? Give us a give us a job description. If you were interviewing for that position, what would you say would be the key attributes and, and duties then? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, it's a little bit like we just touched on with Sam. It, it, you know, it, it's bringing in that the dynamics of understanding the sport from the seat mm-hmm. and and the the psychology side, the understanding of what makes people tick, how we extract the maximum out of them. The liaison in terms of you know the conduit between commercial partners and operational. Um, yeah, when things are a little bit low, maybe there's that that person that's going to come through and uh, and pick everybody back up again and get them motivated. And you know that that really is a is a sporting director's role for me. It, it's that it's the glue between the, uh, the 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 hardworking people in the team, the commercial element, and also making sure that the guys who are on track are fully under fully supported. It's da- it's dangerous. This is a dangerous uh, question for me to ask, um, and possibly even more dangerous. You're going to for- ask it, though. You're going to ask it, yeah. You, you know what? You've known me too long, <laughs> haven't you? You really are. Uh, do you set yourselves targets? You both, both you and Sean, are highly motivated, highly results driven. Do you set yourselves targets for Mark Blundell Motorsport for 2020? Is it important to do that? Can it be dangerous to do that, Mark? Hey, listen, I, you know, I'm 30 years down the line. I've always been uh, aspirational and motivated by achievements. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting my name to something for uh, it to circulate. Um, you know, I, I did that last year. And, uh, you know, I don't like coming last. I'm not, not, not impressed with that. That doesn't, uh, doesn't add up. So as a, as a team going forward, I'm looking for success. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're not doing this to make up the numbers. We're doing it to try and push forward um, try and understand where we sit in the scheme of things. You know, bear in mind the team is already a championship-winning operation. Yes. But you know, let's let's look to see whether there's a bigger picture in the future as the sport grows, and we see whether there's manufacturers that might be coming to the party, and we have some level of attraction to get something like that underway. But you know, that's a, a lot further down the road, John. But without yeah. a doubt, you know, uh, you know, we're not we're not here to make the numbers up. That, that, that's not what we're all about on Sunday afternoon. And in terms of the British Touring Car Championship, you sort of touched on it earlier on. I mean, you've got such a wide range of motorsport experience, single-seaters, Le Mans winner, touring cars, you name it. Uh, uh, you've driven it, to be honest. Um, British Touring Cars, after your experience last year, that was the right place to go. And you see that, presumably, you see that as a, an opportunity for development overall as well, not just for, for, the, for you and the team, but also for the sport. Yeah, I think I, I I honestly think that you know is a is a fantastic platform, and I think there's a huge amount of growth left in it. I think there's a huge amount of uh, you know of, of things that we've got planned that are you know I hope are going to be not just about on track, either, John. You know, I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of roles outside there that you know are, are not focused on. You know, there's a lot of guys there learning about data. There's a lot of engineering staff. There's a you know, there's there's a lot of areas that haven't really been touched on, and we, and we want to try and make sure that we go and tick some boxes in those areas. And 
For me, the British Touring Car Championship has got a huge amount to offer. Uh, I'm proud to be associated with it. Uh, it's in good hands with Alan and the, and the team. Yeah. And um, and, yeah, and listen, there's some great teams down that pit lane. There's some there's some people there with uh, you know West Surrey Dynamics, you know uh, uh, Motorbase. I mean, these guys are um, quality outfits. So oh yeah. Let's, let's not let's not detract from that. There's there's some quality people sit around there. And he's to a very competitive season. Um, I, I think you might have to get some hero cards printed for yourself if you're going to be there on uh, on autograph day, Mark, because the team, you and Sean, undoubtedly will be uh, fan favourites for MB Motorsport. We wish you, Jakey, Sam, and the rest of the, the guys the best. And, and give our best to Sean, won't you? He's a good mate of ours. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And hope to keep you up to date with a lot more news and some success, John. Midweek Motorsport, where John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour. Start the countdown then. Amar Blundell talking to us earlier on today. Wish him all the best. And he off-air did promise us that there is some more news to come and we'll get it first here on Midweek Motorsport. In hour two, Shea Adam will be joining us talking about US sport, uh, including some NASCAR news, bit of sports car news there as well. Nick Damon remains with us. We've got uh, we've got Ben Constantinus previewing the Swedish round of the WRC. But next, it's our big interview, and that will be with Harrison Newey. It's all in hour two of Midweek Motorsports Series 15, episode number six. And don't forget, you can get in touch at Specutainment. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So, uh, Harrison Newey, we have promised you a bit of Harrison Newey, and we have a bit of Harrison Newey. It's been a busy few weeks for the young British driver. couple of massive events for him, and we spoke to him earlier on this week. And the first question I asked him was how it all came together to get those two splendid races at Daytona and the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours onto his CV. Um, yeah, Daytona was last minute. I was in Bahrain uh, for the rookie test in P2. And uh, I was driving the racing team Netherlands car there. And then uh, I got a text on Instagram from Elton Julia, who's the team boss of Dragon Speed, who we all know well. And uh, he was saying, you know, are you available for Daytona? Um, we'd love you to come and join us. And I said, that's fantastic. I definitely am. Uh, and if I'm not, I will make myself available. Um, when, when do you want me there? Kind of thing. Um, so it was all pretty quick. And then just a couple of days later, it was all announced. And it was, yeah, fast moving thing. And then, yeah, we, so we were out for the Raw. Um, Raw went well. First time back in a P2 car, apart from, obviously, I did the test in Bahrain. But there were two first times back in a P2 car for a year. So just settling back in, um, but all went pretty well, all smoothly. And I think the whole team and, and myself felt confident. We went away from the Raw feeling good. Um, we all worked very well together. Um, I think myself and my teammates were very happy with the car. Um, and the nice thing was that we all wanted the car very similar. Um, so there was no kind of compromise there, which was which was good and, and exactly what we wanted leading into the race. Um, and then, yeah, trip back to England and then back out for the race. Obviously very excited. My first ever race in America. Um, you know, one of the biggest endurance races in the world. Definitely want to pick, tick off the bucket list. And um, and obviously we were fully focused to try and win it. And then uh, Barfirst was, I think it was Saturday or even Sunday. No, 
I think it was Friday. It's Friday on. I sat down with um, the guys from Automatic and Stefan Stefan Wendell, who is the uh, head of AMG Custom Sport. Um, and and they said, look, we've got this guy down um, in Oz. Um, we're going to send Dirk Muller down there, and uh, hopefully yourself, if you say yes. Um, so you just get get on a plane and go down on Monday. And I said, fantastic. And then it all got a bit delayed, and I didn't know if it was happening or not. And then on Sunday, it was confirmed because it was kind of like, you know, we, there's a couple of things we need to check and and sort out. But in principle, you know, can you go? And I said, yeah. Um, and then yeah, Sunday, I think just after the race on Sunday, it was like, right, let's book a flight for Bathurst because. Now I know we're going. Wow. Um, so yeah, trip down there and uh, what a track! What a what a great experience! So what, what, two, probably the two best motorsport weeks I've ever had. I was going to say two extraordinary, uh, two extraordinary circuits that possibly couldn't be um, more different to each other, uh, if if truth be told. And uh, two great events as well. Let's take Daytona first, then. So you've not raced in America before, but clearly you know about Daytona does anything prepare you for the first time that you rock up there as a spectator or indeed in your case as a driver and and see that huge stadium appear before you I yeah I mean it was it was pretty special I mean you you know how big it is it is unbelievable um and yeah we did a track walk and it's just you're walking around and this thing is massive I mean I was trying to picture what it would be like when it was full and uh, and I don't think I did myself did it any justice, but it must be an incredible experience when that place is full, um, which I think they doesn't happen too often. But when it does, yeah, it must be special. Um, yeah, very 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 impressive. And the banking, the banking, and if you're walking down the bottom of the banking and you look to your right, it's like looking at a wall. It's. I was I was just thinking I feel like I'm going to roll down this thing if I'm in you know you you think you drive around in a Fiat 500 and you'd be toppling down the thing. It's uh, it's crazy because I've been to Monza. I've looked at the banking of Monza, and that's the same thing. You just think, wow, this is this is special. But when you're at Monza, you obviously realise, you know, no one's going around there anymore. You think those guys back in the day were nuts. And you get to Daytona, and it's the same thing. You are going around it. So um, no, it's cool. And the first time I went out on the banking as well, what I thought was, you know, it's going to be a straight that goes around the circle, um, but it doesn't feel like a straight at all because the car's so heavily loaded. It's down in the bump rubbers tyres are really stressed, ride heights really low, um, and the car just becomes so twitchy, which you don't get anywhere else, you don't get that on the normal straight, so tiny little movements of steering wheel and the car's darting all over the place because of the load it's under mm. um, so it's definitely a different thing, it's not just a simple straight that kind of you get taken round um, I always think that, the, the, I always think that the, the infield at, at Daytona is rather played down because there's some little nuances in that infield section that i mean it looks easy on paper but it's clearly not well i did that i did uh i got there and i thought you know on the on the map it doesn't look too too difficult um fairly simple layout um nothing nothing that looks particularly technical um and actually funnily enough i speak to harry Ticknell, another brit and he's obviously been there a couple of times um and he said mate when you get here he was at the raw the first time he went, he's like, I was like half a second off and I left and I couldn't understand why. He said, you just come to realise that all of these guys, the Americans or the guys that have been racing in America for a long time, come here year in, year out, do 24 hours year in, year out, do a lot of winter testing there and they just know the place like the back of the hand. And there's a lot of little nuances, little bumps, little curves that you want to take, you don't want to take, that you think you might want to take um, and so on. And, 
and that just adds up around the lap and you end up finishing off and you're half second off and he said you'll you know you'll get to learn them but it you know that that's what it's going to be don't get frustrated you just need to try and learn those things and, and get them off people as quick as possible um and it's exactly that you know i had colin braun as my teammate and this is, was 16th daytona um you know as a 31 year old as well so he's done a lot of daytonas at still a very young age and you just you know that experience is priceless um do you know what i can hear the smile i can hear the smile in your voice as you as you're thinking back to it uh, it's it's a race that a lot of uh, even endurance racing fans almost over the last few years have dismissed because, uh, you know, it's not a proper endurance race. You're allowed so many drivers. How hard can that track be? But the concentration levels, even with only just under 40 cars around there in, in four different classes, the concentration levels and the speed, and particularly the speed of this year's race, was extraordinary. And, and I just wonder what it's like from the driver's seat for you um, in an LMP2 car, which in fairness is slowed down from the European versions just uh, a little bit, so not exactly what you've been used to anyway. What was the driving experience like, uh, and what was the race like in terms of of how um, how difficult it was for concentration, for physical fitness, etc.? Yeah, I think for the constant, well, any 24 hour race, it doesn't matter where you go, first of all, is that you don't just simply get out of the car and go to sleep because you're in a race. Your adrenaline's high. I know some drivers can sleep, but I was sharing an RV with Ben Hanley and the both of us didn't sleep at all, I don't think, or hardly anyway, because you're so stressed out and you don't want to look away. You're always looking. You can't wind down. So straight away, you're up for probably the best part of 30, 32, 35 hours, Mm -hmm. which in itself plays a toll. Um, so that doesn't matter how many drives you got. You could have 10 drives and you're still going to be up for that amount of time. Um, and then obviously you've got to get into the car and drive it to the best of your abilities. And that's where the stress comes in, especially in the latter part of the race. And that's where you see the mistakes is no one's slept, no one's wound down, no one's done anything. They've been right on it with the heartbeat the whole race. And, uh, and then they go and drive a racing car um, for, for durations of that. And no tyre warmers either. So when you get back no in, you've warmers. got that. I mean, how many people nearly fell off coming out the pits or at the International well, Horseshoe? Of, I think people, people did. A lot of people did. Um, you know, and that, that, okay, it's 60, as in uh, the speed, 60 around there, um, just coming out, of the, coming out of the pits. But there's a tight corner there. And a couple of people put it in the wall there. Um, and that's happened over the years because, yeah, you get in, you don't realize how slippy it is. The track temps 5, 10 degrees at the night compared to 30, 40 in the day, um, which makes a huge difference. Tires are obviously a lot colder than they are in the day because you've got no sunlight to heat them up. And you just get caught out. Um, and same down into the International Horseshoe. Um, but yeah, physically, it's, it's, it's a tough one because yeah. the banking as well, you're in an awkward position with your neck. Um, mm. so you're always looking up and round and you're kind of crouched in. So yeah, no, it's, it's a lot more physical than I think people think it is. I'd say it's more physical than the one. Oh, really? in terms of actual physical, like body physical. That's interesting. Because um, it's a busy lap as well. In terms of, okay, the, ba- the banking's long, but the car's twitching, you're focusing. But then infield and the chicane, it's quite busy, whereas Le Mans, obviously, you've got a corner, then a long straight, then a corner, then a long straight, bar the Porsche curves. Yes. Um, so I do think on your body, it's probably slightly more physical than Mon. Oh, that's, um, inter- that's very interesting. Uh, congratulations. You took home the coveted Rolex Daytona, one for one, 100%, back in 1,000, as the Americans say. Uh, it, it's an extraordinary thing, Harrison, uh, that professional racing drivers, no matter how much money they've got, how long they've been in the game, 
uh, when you ask them about Daytona, the first thing they talk about is the watch. It's such a coveted prize in in sports car racing and in racing generally. I mean, definitely. Um, you know, you've got you've got the engraving on the back of it, and that says everything. It's just one of those things. And and to look at someone and they go, "Oh, nice watch," and you go, oh, "Thank you very much," and they go, "Did, did you win Daytona or not?" And you say, "Yes." I think you know that's that's just pretty cool. Um, I don't think it gets much better. And obviously, you know, Rolex, big thank you to them and, and all that they support in racing around the world, whether it be Formula One, Endurance, Le Mans, Daytona. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a watch that's grown up with racing. And, and you hear about people, Steve McQueen, for example, getting the watch back in the day, and it just keeps on going. And, and to be part of that club is pretty cool, I think. Is, is, that, is that as important today with the the young drivers coming on who, you know, you guys are wearing Fitbits and, um, you know, I'm into mechanical watches. Um, a lot of my generation are, and a lot of people that I know in motor racing are because they love the engineering. Um, yeah. Young, younger drivers, digital watches, electronic things, multifunctional, does it mean as much? I, I, I personally, I love watches for exactly the same reasons you said. And, and the thing is that they've all served the purpose over the years. Good for you. Um, but I think there's some people that aren't. So I, th- I think it depends on the person. I mean, yeah, personally, I've, I've been, always been very into watches. So you, you get away from there, uh, presumably pack your Rolex in your bag, jump on a flight to to Sydney, and you rock up at Bathurst, um, the mountain, Mount Panorama, another iconic venue. Very different challenge in terms of the car you're driving. Uh, new to that track, the uh, the GT4 AMG at Mercedes-Benz, a track that in some ways defies definition because it's like a straight track that's just been placed on the side of a hill. Um, and another extraordinary venue. I take it you got to drive a few laps in the hire car and go around on the bus with the rest of the rookies. What were your first impressions of Mount Panorama? It's just, I mean, you just don't understand how steep it is. Just do not understand how <laughs> steep it is. It's... Um, and even, you know, you clutch in at the top of the hill on a, you know, we had safety car laps where there was, there was a car parked halfway down, uh, down the dipper. And you, you clutch in at the top thinking, right, we're going really slowly now. It's just about to still clutch in to just squeeze past them because it's only about three cars wide. So when they're parked sideways, you really struggle to get through. And you think, right, yeah, clutch in. And you suddenly speed up and you're doing like 10, 15 miles an hour more than you were a couple of seconds ago because you're not on the brake and you just don't expect it because you don't realize how steep it is. Um, it really is a special place. And it's one of, I'd say, one of the best tracks I've ever driven. Um, one of the most punishing. Very, very technical. Can't afford a mistake, as we saw with the amount of cars that were written off and crashed over the weekend. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a place like no other. Um, you know, I don't think... The only place that I've heard it being described as is a mini Nürburgring. Yeah. Um, but I've never been to the rink, so I can't comment on that. That'll be the next one. Don't don't worry. Um, what what do you put? Uh, I'll ask you because this is going to be interesting because you haven't been there before. Um, taking the temperature of what was going literally as well as metaphorically, taking the temperature of what was going on in the paddock and speaking to some of your driver colleagues, what do you think was going on on free in free practice then with so many uh, and and some very experienced drivers making mistakes and having big accidents there? We know. Small mistakes have big consequences there, but we seem to have a a, a real swathe of them this year in the early running. I, um, you know what, I I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. I thought that 
people are going there, there's obviously a high consequence. We hadn't even got to qualifying yet. And the rate that people, some of the people were pushing, I didn't understand fully. You know, I, and can you I, see that from on track, Harry? Can you, you know, when people go past you in the GT3 cars and you think, oh, hey, he's on it already. Yeah, but some people you go past and, and they're on it. And you go, that, that was a pleasure. You know, that was, that was a pleasure. There's other people where you go and pass and you're like, it's scruffy and they're, you know, a Nats pube away from the wall all the time and they're going to be in it in a second. And, and funnily enough, those people generally did end up in it. Um, so it's, it's just an interesting one. Um, but I, I, I can understand it come quality. I can really can because I think to be pole at Bathurst is nowadays in GT3 has to be probably the most coveted pole. Yeah. So I can really understand it. But you've got to make it to quality to do that. Yeah. Um, and no one remembers who was quickest in FP2. <laughs> so that's from that side, I, I, I genuinely couldn't understand it. But, you know, it's my first proper GT race. So, you know, I've come out of either single seaters, you know, something like SF where, yeah, people are pushing all the time. But yes. a lot of the practice runs are long runs. And, and really, the first time you go to quality is the first time you've got a proper quality run. Um, so it's a bit of a different story. Again, in P2, no one, no one's that bothered about pole really, um, yeah. because the, the races are long, and you've got so long, which is again why I'm so surprised because it's a 12-hour race. Yes. Um, but obviously fiercely competitive. But we see it with something like the Bentley that was, what did it qualify P7 or something? Yes. You know, and 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 just really took a commanding win in the race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How was it working with uh, AMG, with uh, a GT car, as you say? I, uh, first of all, we should say GT4 cars are fairly sophisticated racing machines nowadays, but not what you've been used to, particularly, I would have thought, in the areas of weight transfer and how dynamic the car feels. I'm not running down a GT4 car. That's you know that's about as high as I've, certainly as high as I've ever raced, uh, although I've driven gt3s uh, before but never raced them but but in terms of the comparison to what you've been driving the previous week that must have felt very very different hugely different um you know already jumping from a super formula car which is 680 kilos with driver um so 600 kilos without driver into a p2 which i think is nine something yeah nine, getting six, up there nine, nine, something like that without the driver um then obviously it's a huge weight weight difference and already you know it's uh chucking that weight around is a big difference and trying to get it to change direction someone like the chicane in daytona was tough um, and i struggled with that for a while and then you go that one step further to a, to, a, to a gt4 car which is again a little bit heavier um it's a little bit softer quite a bit softer um and it, it, it's coming back towards i think not a road car, but back towards that way. And I think the way you treat it is just very different. Uh, and traction yeah. control and ABS as well. ABS in particular is something you've got to learn. People think, oh, ABS, that makes it easier. But for a, a pro driver like yourself, a career driver like yourself, to learn how to get the best out of ABS is actually quite difficult because in some ways you've got to unlearn it's, things. It's tough. It's really tough. And especially in the GT4 because the GT3 has got a very um specific abs system they've developed for the car um it's very much a racing system the gt4 is kind of in between that and a road system um so yes you do need to use it but as you say learning how to use it properly is tough um and it doesn't feel very nice in the car it doesn't feel right feels slower so 
first session because I knew it wasn't a racing system, wait, not a full-fledged racing system, should I say, then I wasn't really using it because it didn't feel good. Mm. Came in, look at the data, and, and I was I was fast everywhere except the braking zones. Yeah. Um, and Dirk, who's fairly Dirk Muller, who's fairly experienced in the car, was just absolutely shattering me on the on the brake systems, and he was he was using pretty much double the pressure. Yeah. Um, and that was why. So no, it's it's an interesting one. It's strange. I, it I. I've only ever driven a couple of cars with uh, race cars with ABS, and I'm a very occasional racing driver. And I get how it helps people who aren't particularly uh, talented or don't race a lot. But to get the yeah. best out of it, um, it was it was counterintuitive for me. It's like the first time you drive a downforce car, uh, and I, I did that only last year. And the pedal pressures that you can do on a downforce car when you're going very quickly, it's very similar. Like I always was taught, get on the brakes gently and feel them in. Whereas if you've got ABS, you've almost got to hit them really hard and then feather them back off, yeah. much as you do with a downforce car. D- did you find yeah. that as well? Yeah, definitely found that. Because with the ABS working, the car's moving around a bit faster. Yes. Um, and, and you can't turn in with that. So you've got to get it almost get the speed off, then get it under control, then turn it. Yes. Um, which is where I wasn't using the ABS because I was like, well, if I just don't unset it in the first place, <laughs> then I can carry more, more pressure in. Um, but obviously that was wrong. Yeah, very different to a GT3 where you bring yeah, all the different. way up up to the apex, quite, yeah. and sometimes yeah. and sometimes beyond it, uh, and, and and beyond it. Yeah, yeah, they're extraordinary things. Um, not a big GT4 class at Bathurst. Disappointingly, from my point, if there was one small disappointment for me for Bathurst this year, it was the lack of the GT4 entries. Um, Aside from that, we actually had pretty good battles between yourself and the eventual winners, which was the Jurgensen Strom BMW. You guys were pretty evenly matched on lap times. Um, what spoiled it was you guys had a little problem and you lost a dozen laps and you're never going to get those back. In fact, I no. think you got one back. I think you got back down to 11 laps by the, the, end, of the uh, end of the race. But I was keeping an eye on that. And, it, and had you not had that wee problem with the... It was, part, it was the uh, air pump for the gearbox, wasn't it? Um, that yeah. We, that was the issue. That would have been a cracking race. And I want to see more of that in GT4. Yeah, I think it would have come right down to the line, as you say, um, which was just disappointing. But there we go that's how racing goes sometimes but as you say that you look they're fantastic cars um very very cost effective and you're getting to go and do one of the best races in the world and for a guy that is either financially stretched to do gt3 or simply just not confident and doesn't want to step up to a racing car that goes that quickly yeah then a gt4 car is fantastic for them um and i don't see why there isn't more entries and, and i think hopefully that will pick up for next year, having people maybe seeing the AMG this there this year and the BM. Obviously, there was a horde of KTM's last year, but mm. stepping up to the to the, the the manufacturers where they're competing for wins over in Europe, and and the KTM's obviously a great car as well. But you've got a couple more manufacturers over in Oz now that that it's a shame not to see the KTM's back because then we're gonna have three three yes. manufacturers. But hopefully for next year, um, things will start to pick up because. I think it would be a great thing for the race, as you say, and I think it adds another challenge to the GT3s that they haven't got at the moment, but would good would, would be really good for them to have. Yeah, I um, agree. I agree completely. Listen, always a pleasure to talk to you, Harrison. Um, what you, when are we going to see you racing again? What's your plans for this year? Well, I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of trying to get myself um, something in ELMS, which uh, hmm. hopefully will come together. Something a bit different probably won't be in in p2 um 
but let's see. And then uh, hopefully again, I'll be back out in Sebring. Uh, but that, that will be defined pretty shortly, I think. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'd like, like to be back out for Sebring. That'd be good. That, what, with, with, with Dragon Speed again, with Elton's guys? Hope, hopefully with Elton's guys, yeah. Hopefully with Elton's guys. Uh, uh, if, so you, if you thought Daytona was different, uh, where did you get the Sebring, mate? There's wait no... till I get the Sebring. Uh, make sure you've got a very good seat fitting for that. Thank you. Yeah, and no, a good no, dental plan, because you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll need it. Harrison Newey, always a pleasure, mate. And, you know, Thank you. Give us a shout as soon as you've got anything sorted out, and we'll be happy to talk to you about we'll it. Will do, of course. Will do, of course. Thank you very much. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having us on the show. Harrison Newey talking to us earlier in the week. And Harrison mentioned in that interview the banking at Monza. Mm. And next month, we're actually going to see some cars on the banking at Monza, aren't we, Nick? Are we? Yes, we are, because the uh, Creventic cars are going to run around oh, as, there a demo, yes. as a demo. Yeah. Because it's not surface anymore. It is very steep. Well, the nice thing about it is you can. You, it's quite easy to find. You just walk if you if you've obviously got a pass. You just walk up at the end of the straight. Walk up the uh, past the end of the pit, and it just kind of starts to bank away. And one of the things I liked most about it was in the uh, in the early uh, autumn sun. Because I used to go there obviously for the Grand Prix in the first week of September. There used to be um, lots of lovely lizards sunbathing, just getting oh, really? there on, on the banking. Yeah, because we know you're warm. a big fan of lizards, Nick. Uh, Hobartologist par extraordinaire. Couple of tweets coming in at Spectatement. Uh, Mark Blundell before nine o'clock. Ted Toyman said BTCC might be a national championship, but it does still have international appeal. Uh, I watch an hour highlight show from every round on free to air TV here in Australia the following weekend. Neil Gardner saying it's interview with Mark Blundell. Such passion is infectious. Brilliant stuff. Uh, and on Harrison Newey, who's just been on. Keith Pearson, really enjoying Harrison Newey. Very articulate, a very, very sensible head on his shoulders. Very well brought up young man. It does Nick. sound it, doesn't he? Yes. Yes, yes. very good uh, indeed. Uh, moving on, Tim, what do you have? I've just been thinking about something completely different, but I'll move on to that. <laughs> uh, maybe after the show we'll chat about that. Uh, well, Andy no Merrick. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll be racing in the Michelin Le Mans Cup this season alongside Daniel Schneider. Uh, they've signed for United Autosports. And he's been a busy boy, actually. He's, he's a very busy boy because he's, he's off to Asian Le Mans series this Correct. weekend, isn't he? And yeah. uh, obviously, he's announced the 13 drivers who are his uh, BRDC superstars, the elite of British motorsport. Uh, that was announced yesterday, um, including. What do you get for being a superstar apart from a sticker on your car? You do get the sticker on your car, yeah. and you're one of only 13 drivers ca- that can carry that sticker on your car. Yes. You can also have that on your helmet if you want. Right, and right. what do you get? Uh, you get uh, advice from uh, BRDC members. You get right. uh, some fitness training. You get media training. You get right. uh, lots of other opportunities. Is there any cash? There is no cash, but there are right. opportunities to generate cash. Right, okay. Uh, because... Nick is looking slightly sideways and sort of in that disapproving look. I never want to be disapproved by Nick. Giving cash to racing drivers is not necessarily a good idea. Giving them the opportunity to test for a team that then might pay them uh, is a good idea. Right, so they're they're all testing for Mercedes Grand Prix because no one else pays anybody these days. Uh, They're not all single-seat drivers. No. Uh, Because they include people like Phil Hansen. Who will be on the show next week? Mm, Bob. 
and uh, Jake Hill, who we uh, talked about earlier with Mark Blundell. That's very good. We're going to have to have that, aren't we? Oh, yes. I'm sure it's been done before. Um, so, but Jake, yes, obviously he's now running with... Uh, uh, can Sutton, I just remind everybody I told Jake to drive? You can. Can but... I tell everybody I lent him, I gave him my old motor so he could race RC cars when he was really little. And, no, but and the, to complete the triumphant, he did Tim's back garden. Yeah, cleared all the weeds. I taught him to drive. I taught him clutch control. To be fair, he'd already park. been karting before that. No, no, but I taught that him clutch control in the car park in Thrapston. Yes. Without uh, Wellingborough, that, in fact. Uh, sorry, Wellingborough, yes. Wellingborough. Doesn't, doesn't he have a paddle shift now, though? It's not the point. <laughs> I'm moving He does on a lot of that. historic racing as well, so he, he would need a... Yes. Excellent. Historic GT Championship. He needs an old bloke to drive with him. Uh, he has one of those. Oh, he needs another one. Uh, Glickenhaus have announced uh, more details of their Le Mans programme. And Nick's not going to like it. Why not? Because they're not using an Alfa Romeo engine. They're going to build their own. Which they kind of have to under the rules, don't they? No. no. Absolutely no? not. If they're going to be a hypercar, they Which have they are. Yes, they have to have a manufacturer involved. Ah. So uh, maybe actually, they no. Have now, in fairness, they are... I presume that they are then being categorised as a manufacturer by the ACO. Well, which is reasonable. I mean, they are—they do cars. make cars. Yes, that exactly. Is, that's a core business they, activity. They, they were going to use an Alpha engine. Now they're using a bespoke 840 horsepower twin turbo V6. They used the Alpha engine in the 004, didn't they? No. No. So they got 840 horsepower plus the hybrid. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, what's no in hybrid the 004? Not hybrid, okay. Um, I thought that had the Alpha engine. No. Um, in in the they used a Honda engine to start with in uh, the 003. So you you really um, and they're hard to spell, aren't they? Yes. Um, hang on. Oh, pretty. It's very pretty. Generic, but pretty. Uh, the 004... It's raw mechanical and analogue. V8... No, it's a V8. It was a V8 supercharged. So, it's absolutely not an Alpha engine. Fair Maybe enough. V6 turbocharged. Correct. That's, and that that was your engine. From the... From previously, yes. Yeah, from your Julia. Actually, your engine. Oh, well, that might no, they, well, they I, ran it, I ran it in nicely. They, they said Nick will have run it in nicely. Um, and that's what they were going to use, that very engine. Uh, but now they've decided that they're going to go with the 007 Le Mans hypercar. It's uh, going to be running with their own, with a bespoke, well, with their bespoke engine. Jan Magnussen... High class. Is going to... Uh, Two races for him this year. Do the one twenty four hours if high class racing gets a... Uh, oh. Entry for their uh, full season EMS car. Well, sure he's going to be doing... And, and don't forget... I mean, I mean I'd be, uh, we'll get Cheer to talk about that. But he's, he's going to be doing two races for Corvette again. Um, with the additional WEC entries. It'll be an all Danish uh, team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, uh, because oh, he oh. is uh, very much a GT specialist, 
he took part in the uh, rookie test for uh, LMP2 cars well, last year. Absolutely, like he should do. I mean, that's, you know, you're 42 and you're 44, you should be a rookie. Already, uh, David Tobro says, so disappointing there's not going to be an alpha lump in the Glickenhaus gutted. Uh, the, it was a 6.2 litre LT GM engine. The 003 was a Nissan V6, was it? I thought they used a Honda in that car, which was the one they used the... The, oh, I don't know. The Honda LMP. We don't really have time to discuss this anymore. We uh, need no, to introduce Shay Adam. Hello, no, Shay. Before we do that, Glickenhaus will not be on the grid at Silverstone for the first round of the WEC in 2020. This year. Yeah, this year. Um, that's that's the other thing that's come out of that. Now you can introduce. Hello, Shay. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I, Shay, did you say did you say hello to yourself earlier when you weren't faded up? The second no. Time oh, you, you waited. Oh, she waited. Blimey, radio professionals, honestly. <laughs> uh, lots of things to talk to Shay about. For yeah, us, go on then. Though uh, we're going to talk about NASCAR. NASCAR. Uh, the the crash. Uh, not yet. We're not going to talk about okay. actual NASCAR. NASCAR yet. Okay. Uh, and the crash was uh, either Joey Logano's fault or Carl Busch's fault, depending on who you like. Apparently. Or Brad Kozlowski just blames everybody, but yeah, no, he, he true blames enough. his teammate. He does. Uh, NASCAR would like to do a street race around oh, the outside of a football stadium. Oh, good grief. Well, it is an oval. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you know which football st- stadium they'd like to do? Please say Miami. It's not Miami. Soldier Field. Oh. Ew, really? Yes. Oh, in Boston. New market. Wow. Boston. Or um, Chicago. Chicago, actually, isn't it? It's the yeah. best place. Soldier, I've been to Soldier Field. I've watched soccer there. Ooh. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. That, I can't see that being a huge draw in that neck of the woods. Um, especially since they already race not too far away. They have a couple of races up in the north in that vicinity that NASCAR fans already drive to. Um, but it's an interesting thought, them choosing a location that's already in the shape of an oval where they could race around the outside of the stadium. Where would the spectators go? <laughs> they would stand on the roof. They could all stand on the roof of the stadium and then watch the cars go around them. Ultimate infield access. Mm. <laughs> uh, what's the latest uh, strategic partnership that NASCAR's announced? Uh, that I don't know. It's uh, Census 2020. That's a very interesting move, uh, particularly because NASCAR has been getting a little bit more involved in politics. I like that idea that they're trying to get people to register for this thing that the government of the U.S. does once every 10 years. Come on, people, you can send in your census form. Um, But also, we just found out a couple of minutes ago that our president will be attending the Daytona 500 for the first time in a very long time that a serving president will be at the race. So there's a lot of politics that's becoming interwoven with NASCAR. Still my favourite picture ever when we walk to the booth at Daytona is Air Force One as a 707. Yes. Landing at DAB at Daytona Beach 
while the NASCAR race is going on, which I think was President Reagan era, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, it's been quite a long time. But uh, that photo, there will be an opportunity for Air Force One mm. to be photographed at DAB next weekend. This weekend. Is, ooh, now, ooh, is DAB long enough for a 747? Yeah, yeah, because it's Embry-Riddle. Mm, okay. So. Maybe he'll uh, take Marine one and land on the infield. Ooh, that would be cool. Possibly. Because he'd be probably down at Mar-a-Lago anyway, won't he? So he could just chop her yeah. up. Yeah, that's not an unreasonable distance. Palm Beach to Daytona, probably 190 miles. Mm, is, is, so it's Daytona 500 next weekend, is it? Yes, this on weekend. Sunday. This weekend, yes. Okay, all right. Uh, but last weekend, it was the Bush Clash. The Bush Crash. Yes. Uh, what a race. Um, that's the word I'll use. Six cars finished. 18 started. Five had a realistic chance to win because Denny Hamlin, who was still running around with a very much injured car, was a lap down. And ultimately, he helped his only other Toyota teammate left in the field, Eric Jones, come away with the win. There were two Chevys, two Fords, and two Toyotas still running when the final restart was kicked back in action. Um, it was not pretty. It was not dignified. And at one point in time, the graphic was actually used cars sustaining no damage today, of which there were three at that point in time. So <laughs> it was quite messy. And you have to imagine that somewhere in the world, Dale Jr. was looking around at his backyard going, I don't have room for all these cars. Somebody did tweet during that that we could get a car, ship it to the States, and put it on the track and still have a chance of winning by the time we go to the end of that. Yeah, there was uh, a very, very funny moment. I was only sort of half listening, but the commentators were worrying about running out of fuel at the end of the race and how it was turning into a fuel save and how all the people running around were clearly just in conservation mode because we weren't sure we were going to make it to the, oh, wait, yellow flag. Okay, no, everybody's good on fuel now. Um, oh, wait, nobody's left. We have three cars at this point that are running around that haven't been bashed in in one form or another. And it was one of those things that I felt really badly for Brad Keselowski. We, we mentioned the fact that he was blaming uh, Joey Logano for contact with Kyle Busch that ultimately resulted in both of them not finishing the race and several other drivers as well. Um, but Keselowski looked really strong and he led a lot of laps during the race. But ultimately, you only need to lead one lap and that's the last lap. So it didn't matter that Keselowski was at the four for 33 of the laps he didn't get past lap number 66. Uh, before the 500, we've got uh, trucks and Xfinity as well. Uh, there's no danger of us being able to uh, send a truck to Daytona and uh, still uh, win because there's 42 entries for uh, far fewer than 42 slots on the grid, aren't there? That is correct. So for the Daytona 500, we still have people who are not yet locked into the field. Um, Brendan Gaughan was one of the lucky drivers to make it guaranteed for the 500. But the, the duels, I almost said the clash. The clash was last weekend. The duels take place tomorrow night. There's two of them. 
they were set based on if you qualified even or odd for the 500 because qualification has already happened. We know that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is on pole. I think it's Alex Bowman who's alongside of him. Front row is locked in. Everybody else, it's a free-for-all. Depending on where you finish in your respective duel is how you will line up for the start of the Daytona 500. The truck race is Friday night, so we've got two duels on Thursday, truck race on Friday with a very full field. We've got the Xfinity Series running Saturday afternoon, and then Sunday is the Daytona 500 itself. So it's a very busy week as far as NASCAR is concerned. I love the truck races. What we call the truck races this year? It's still the Gander, Gander Outdoor, outdoor uh, and something truck series. There's an additional... Oh, really? uh, Gander RV and Outdoor truck series. RV and Outdoor. I think Thank we you. should just run RVs. That would oh, be fun. We? Yes. Oh, what if we make the drivers drive their motorhome around the track? There would be no crashing. People would be so careful. Yeah, it'd be very slow. It would be very slow, but it would be funny. Yeah, it would be funny. It would be funny. Uh, what's happening in Nashville tomorrow, Shay, that will impact the future of NASCAR? Oh, Tim, I thought you would never ask. So, in Nashville, the scene of the, the banquet last year for uh, NASCAR for the first time they moved it away from Miami and they held it in Nashville. There is a deadline that will be met tomorrow. They've got until tomorrow to sort out a situation. Well, what's going on there? It's fighting over 2.4 acres of Nashville fairground property. The mayor of the city, as it is now, is a guy named John Cooper, not Minnie, but still it's easy to remember his name because of that. He's trying to negotiate a deal that was made by his predecessor to bring an MLS franchise to Nashville. They've proposed that a stadium be built next to the track that's already there, the short track. The construction was approved in 2018, but it would cost $335 million. That's the estimate. It was supposed to begin in November, but the mayor, John Cooper, didn't sign off on it because he questions the cost to the taxpayers it's a very similar situation, actually, to what happened in Miami a couple of years ago when the owner of the Dolphins wanted to improve the stadium down here. But 200 million of the 450 million was going to be coming from the um, the taxpayers instead of coming from the team itself. But in this case, the mayor's worried about the question of how much the taxpayers would be responsible for. The guy who already owns the Nashville Soccer Club has volunteered $19 million additionally for, quote, the vicinity of the stadium. That includes the Speedway because they are proposing that they build this 30,000-seat stadium next to the NASCAR track or what used to be the NASCAR track. It hasn't been used since 1984. But that needs about $60 million in upgrade because they want to make that a 30,000-seat stadium as well. The locals are worried that this soccer stadium won't help the Speedway. The Speedway already runs short tracks. It just doesn't have a NASCAR event. It hasn't had cups since 84. It hasn't had trucks or Xfinity since 2000. Basically, they've got until tomorrow to sort all this out. And it's one of those situations where the locals, they want it to happen, but they also don't want it to happen. They don't want to lose the little gem of what they already have. The government has already said, yeah, let's make this happen. Let's bring in a soccer team. Let's bring in more money, more revenue, more attention. 
And the mayor is going, mm, hang on a second. We need to look at the numbers a little bit more closely. So the guy who approved it all is no longer the guy in power. And the guy who's in power might not necessarily approve it. It's an interesting uh, struggle going on in Nashville right now. Uh, let's go back to the Daytona 500 quickly. Prediction of who's going to win. Uh, I'll give it to Kyle Busch because it's the only one he hasn't won. John? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be at Wardenlaw in Sunderland reopening a, an outdoor circuit, as is Nick, because you'll yes, televise this. We are, we are filming it. It is live from 11 o'clock on Sunday. You can watch top quality northeastern karting in what I believe may well be northeastern weather or how the South sees the northeast. No, that'll be Saturday. Windy and cold. No, it'll be beautifully and sunny. And uh, <laughs> so Joe and I are going back to our roads doing karting commentary uh, live. Uh, on Post Sunday. the link on the collective when we go live at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Yeah, uh, and in fact, I hopefully will be home for the start of the Daytona 500, if if not the not end. the start? No, I will be. Starts about 8 o'clock. Yeah, I should I've be home. Easily be home for that. How far? Where are you going in? A jet? Remember <laughs> that it'll be dark by 5, so the racing will have to stop by about 4. I've got lights, I think. I've got a Hyundai. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your money on for the 500, Nick? Um, Jeff Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt Senior. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, um, um, Can I just see? Cannonball it? Williams. Can I? You can't. Billy Boat. Uh, I'm going to say Chase Elliott. Daniel uh, I'll Le- say Joey Legato because I know he's real. He is D- real. Daniel Lacelip Daniel has just posted some historic pictures of... Uh, auto racing at Soldier Field and I've retweeted that on at Specutainment. That's extraordinary. That's fantastic. What year is this, John? Oh, uh, uh, um, old. Hang on. Uh, <laughs> let, <laughs> let me just show oh, you. Look, old. black and white, it's old. Do you think that's post-war? Uh, probably just. Is that a velodrome? Boa yeah. War? It, it's fantastic. Looks like a velodrome up there. By NASCAR the... memories. So wow. the, they did run NASCAR there. Apparently. Remember when Soldier Field hosted a wow. NASCAR Cup race. Well, it can't be a NASCAR Cup race in 35, but... Fantastic stuff. Uh, also, tweets coming in about uh, our news, uh, the Glickenhaus news, uh, and I just checked on the ever-reliable Wikipedia. It was a Honda V6 in the 003 in the Competizione and the Stradale. It was a 4.4 V8. Uh, so, very good. Uh, Rob Chalbers says, so if the Glickenhaus isn't going to be on the grid at Silverstone, it's not. Neither are the Astons. They are not. Neither are the Peugeots. They oh. don't exist yet. Yeah. What happens if Toyota decide they want a bit longer as well? Does it just become a P2 race? Possibly. Or will the grandfather LMP1s just go pot hunting? Well, no, hang on, though. If it is just the Toyotas, they'll be first and second. If by, by an infinite amount of time. So how much success balance to get to the next race? 17 tonnes. Oh, <laughs> very good point. I I think if there's no competition, I honestly think I'm going to put this out here right now. If there are no hypercars other than Toyota declared for Silverstone, Toyota won't turn up. I don't they think they'll go. They will t- they'll turn up because they want a race test. No, I don't think so. I genuinely think they'll turn up because they want a race test. I think... I think, they would learn a lot more doing a 
six hour race with traffic and everything else and they'd learn from five days testing on empty track somewhere I think given the issues that they have had which I don't understand but I think given the issues that they have had in bad press by being the last man standing in LMP1 hybrid I think they won't do that and I think that could be the last hurrah for privateer LMP1s there's none of those either now that well well, Collis is coming back Collis is coming back Ginetta will still be there potentially Ginetta's gone already well, uh, no, they've got, they've got ju- transport issues, haven't they? they? They've got issues with um, logistics. Logistics. No, Ginetta will obviously turn up for Spa and um, uh, Le Mans because it's cheap and they can make money out of it. Yeah. Um, but I, would they roll into the following year? I doubt it. I think if they think they can win, and they possibly can. Or, as Rob rightly says, uh, you've got... An LMP2. Uh, they, thank- they should bring the BRO1s back in again because they'll be back legal again oh, then, won't they? That's true enough. Shea, <laughs> uh, thank you very much indeed to Shea Adam. Uh, and and now we move on to Nick's favourite subject. Yes, this is rallying. Oh, I thought it was going to be littered again. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, Swedish rally uh, at the weekend. Let's have our now rally correspondent and say good evening to Ben Constantjuris. Good evening. Nice to be back. Always nice to have you. Thoroughly enjoyed your preview with Tim a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Rally Sweden, this weekend, uh, not much snow? Hmm. Yeah, uh, almost almost not happening at all. And uh, I was talking to a, an expert on the rally scene a couple of weeks ago, and they said 50-50 chance. But, you know, there's so many politics around trying to cancel an event, whether it be Rally or Formula E or Formula One. We're seeing so many cancellations recently. Um, that uh, they were insistent on trying to get a rally sorted. And so we have a reduced route for Rally Sweden this year, which I think about 50% is actually in Norway. I mean, the issue is if there's no snow, it actually becomes a very fast rally indeed. I think the fastest ever rally was Rally Finland a couple of years ago. Uh, And if if there is no snow, then it's very quick roads. Yeah, exactly. And, and ironically, Rally Sweden's roads are covered in snow right now. And actually places where some of the teams have been testing over this last week, it looks really good for a winter rally in Finland. But uh, Sweden have had uh, high temperatures. So it's been an issue the last couple of years with warm temperatures, but they haven't had the snow, they haven't had the rainfall, and they haven't had the coldness to freeze the roads. So uh, looking at the recce and the, fo- the photos we've seen coming out of the recce the last couple of days, there's no snow in the trees. Uh, there is ice on the stages, but only in parts. And the rest is gravel. But they are forced by regulation to use studded ice yeah. tires. And therefore, they, uh, they're gonna, it's going to really struggle. It's going to be an interesting weekend, that's for sure. If we look back to the opening round of the championship on Monte Carlo... Uh, reigning champion, Oyster Tanak, uh, he didn't have a good time on the morning. Oh, that was a big one. That really was uh, quite a huge accident and uh, even made even huger by the fact that the the director of the TV kept it on screen. So we watched it completely unfold and mm. 14 seconds from initial off-road to the settling of the accident. I, I went to the site of the accident and couldn't believe that he had descended down, what, a 10-metre cliff 
the last part of the accident is actually falling off a cliff. Um, having a conversation, Noit Tanank, with his, uh, his co-driver, Martin um, Yaviova, uh, asking him whether there was any water coming. Um, because remember, back in the day, uh, he had that moment in Mexico where um, he came off the road and went into a lake. Mm. Um, and I, I think that really put the, uh, if you fall into a lake with a car, a very scary thing to happen. And so his natural reaction whilst falling down a cliff was, are we about to fall into a river? Yes. Oh, do we need to get out quickly? Um, the car was totally destroyed. He obviously didn't compete further in the rally. Interesting to see how that affects him moving forward. All these massive accidents, Thierry Neville's last year in Chile, um, they do affect the driver. Um, and it just proves that Oit, I mean, in a Toyota, he hadn't had a crash like that for years and years mm. and years. He settled into the way the Toyota reacted. And he, the Hyundai clearly didn't react in the same way as the Toyota over those bumps. It kicked him off the road, threw him into the trees. He downed a tree. He destroyed a vineyard and fell off a cliff and came out unscathed. Uh, as far as the championship is concerned, it mirrors what happened in the Monty with Thierry Neuville uh, leading by eight points of, ahead of Sebastian Ogier. That's Hyundai versus uh, Toyota. Elvin Evans in third position also for Toyota, another uh, four, uh, five points further back. Uh, and those three had a pretty good rally, all picking up uh, points in the uh, Super Special at the end uh, as as well. Uh, but yeah, but it felt to me like Toyota really should have ended up with a 1-2 there. Yeah. Something happened on Sunday that allowed Thierry to have extra confidence in these kind of very slippy but not snowy conditions that the last two stages were run much further south, closer to Monte Carlo. And the, the the roads were not offering any grip whatsoever. And I kind of, I looked at the pictures and I felt as though the Hyundai was a softer setup. It, the, the mechanical grip, the car was rolling more, creating a more mechanical grip, where the Toyotas were very stiff. And both Seb and Elvin struggled massively to extract confidence and speed out of the Toyota on Sunday. And Elvin you know, tumbled from first down to third by the end of the rally. And he was a big star for me. I can't wait to see how he fares across the rest of the season. That was a, a rally where Sebastian Auger is the king and Elvin matched him stage by stage, beat him on many and in the same car. And so, you know, we could have a, a surprise um, fighter for the championship in Elvin Evans come midpoint of the season. We're already getting the third driver rotations coming into play very, very early indeed of the championship. Yeah, well, Hyundai played this game uh, a lot last year and Sebastian Loeb was, I dare say it, pathetic on the Monte Carlo. You know, ended up two and a half minutes back, having a couple of spins, just really slow, never really showing the amazing speed that we're used to from Sebastian Loeb and um, he was kind of had a discussion with Adamo at the end the, the boss of Hyundai at the end of Monte Carlo and they have to make their driver decisions on the Monday morning um, following the previous yeah. rally so it had to be a quick decision not to have Sebastian uh, Craig Breen was over in Monte Carlo as the one of the presenters for Red Bull TV and so was easily on hand for Andrea to go hey Craig do you fancy a seat um, and so Craig being put in and it works because it allows those new drivers that have got no points to start further down the road. Order. Yeah. Now, if there was a massive amount of snow in Sweden, 
he would be the the leading contenders would be snow plows they would be getting rid of the soft snow and then the ice would be coming through for the the latter runners it would benefit people like oit or craig breen at the very tail of, of the runners of the field as it is with soft gravel uh, wrong tires potentially roads degrading yeah i'm not sure it's going to be much fun for oit tanak and craig breen down in eighth and tenth on the running water uh, uh- Craig's got happy memories, though. Uh, Craig Brain, happy memories for uh, of Sweden. Um, 2018, second in the Citroen. So, I mean, he, he knows it. I can't remember what the what the conditions were like that year, whether there was snow uh, or not, if I'm honest. What about uh, Yari Mati Latvala? Uh, can he come back? Can he do something on the Swedish? Yeah, he's talking. So he's in a fo- uh, fourth or maybe fifth Toyota. Um, for Rally Sweden. It's a private run, run by his own own money, own funding, own team, not really linked to Toyota. He's basically renting a car. And it means he's got no pressure on his shoulder. He's not got the expectation or the politics of running with a works team. And it's a a rally that he should be happy, familiar with, comfortable with. Mm. I just think the conditions just throw everything in the air. And... We're only really running on the four or five stages. They've got on on, on Thursday evening, Karlstad, which is a stadium um, race on a horse and a trotting track. doesn't really have much of an effect on, on the overall. By the end, it's only two kilometers. Then we've got four, three stages, proper forest stages uh, in Norway. The fourth of the day on Friday is a very short two-kilometer sprint for the spectators into the service park. Those stages are then repeated on Saturday because of the only stages that are really prepared for rallying. And after Friday's pass, if there's warm temperatures overnight, God oh, knows what the, yeah. the conditions will be on Saturday. And then there's only one actual stage on Sunday, the first pass of Lincoln Ass, which is in Sweden. And then the second pass is the power stage. And it's right. about seven or eight kilometers. So there's not, you know, the traditional rally Sweden experts, I don't think are going to have the opportunity to really shine. Uh, nothing between the manufacturers as we mentioned Hyundai uh, 35 33 for Toyota Gazoo Racing M Sport alright they're down a bit with 20 if if I had to ask you to put your head on the block and uh, pick a winner even if it's only one of the manufacturers um, which one goes better which team goes better what do you reckon I honestly think because of the conditions, it favours the early runners. Yeah. Um, we are we are not expecting a hard frost. We're not expecting snow. We are expecting warm temperatures. The roads are going to rut up. It's going to be a lottery for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to have to be very lucky. Um, but you also, I think, are going to need to run early on Friday to get the best of those conditions. And I think it's between Thierry Neville, Seb, Ogier and perhaps Elvin Evans yeah. those front three are going to get the best of the conditions and they are going to be in good in the box seat the big question for me are they going to get full points are they actually going to get 100% of the rally completed or will Saturday be t- become such a disaster because it's not just 10 rally cars 10 world rally cars that Correct. go through the stage there's 44 other national R5s WRC2 WRC3 and the junior category as well yeah first round of the juniors, they've got to go through the stages as well. So they are, they are chewing up those stages. Those stages then got to be reset overnight on Friday for Saturday's running. We could well see Saturday being cancelled, in my opinion. Wow. 
going into Sunday, we've got two stages. Therefore, you're not running the full amount of kilometers. And depending on how many stages are cancelled, 75 or even 50% of the points could be awarded. It's going to be a weird weekend. Uh, any chance for Esapekalapi in, in the best of the Fords? He's only in fourth, so he's going to get half-decent conditions. I would love it. I would love to yeah. see Esapeka have a smile on his face. He's such a reactive driver. Yeah. When it's going badly, he's grumpy. You see it in his face. You see it in his driving. When it's going well, he's so, so animated, a great person to be around. And, you know, that Ford isn't a bad car. It, it's pretty much the same car as Sebastian Auger won the World Championship with a couple of years ago. It just requires a driver to extract the very best. And last year they were unlucky. They didn't have Elvin Evans doing the full season because he, he hurt his back. And they didn't really have a top flight driver. So uh, Esapeka is a top flight driver. He proved that in his opening year, winning, I think, his opening rally in mm. Rally Finland for Toyota. Um, obviously, the Citroen, an incredibly hard car to drive, didn't, had, didn't have the opportunity to shine last year. The Ford is a solid platform. Apparently, you can get in it, you get confidence, you can drive it well. So, yes, Esapeka could be a good surprise. But to be honest, throw everything up in the air and see what falls <laughs> on the ground first. It is really what it's going to be, thanks to the conditions. Ben, enjoy it, mate, and thanks for being with us. And we'll speak to you uh, in a little while ahead of the next one. Absolutely. Thanks very much, John. Ben Consiguris, thank you very much indeed. Sorry? I'll turn you on. You know I always get worried when we get experts and what they're talking about on the show. See, rallying <laughs> is interesting when Ben talks about it. I like Ben. He's a very, 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 very nice man. But very rallying, talented. But very talented, but rallying... Still? Okay. I Even I Ben can't enthuse you into no. considering rallying? Nope. Nope, it's not racing. Thank you very much to everybody who's tweeted tonight on Specutainment. We'll be back next week. Uh, yes, we will. We've already told you who next week's big interview is going to be. Who did I say that was going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Phil, Phil Hansen. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Mm, Bop. <laughs> you need to get that music out for that. Uh, I'll be speaking to Phil, I think, probably before the end of this week. So we're, we're going to get that in the can, as they say. And uh, over the weekend, Tim, we've got some new content coming. Yes, you may have heard it already if you've uh, been listening to RS1. Uh, but it'll be your first opportunity to download and keep mm-hmm. some new content. Which is? A road test. Is that the Aston Martin? It is, the DB11 AMR. Oh, the blue car. I love that. That was a great car. Blue? Okay. Yeah, Not in the photo I've got. No, the photo I sent you was blue. You never sent me a photo. Aston Martin sent me a photo. It's not blue. I'll send you a photo. It's blue. It's very, very, very blue. And I did send you a photo, but never mind. We'll sort that out. Uh, And this weekend, just a quick reminder, Nick, Joe Bradley and myself and Nick's team of highly talented (laughs) videographers. Including Paul. Uh, Paul as well. Paul's there. Which Paul? Um, uh, Paul the cameraman. Paul, Paul the cameraman. Paul Bateman, who I met because t- I only met because Tim put us together. Right. Yeah. And Nick's turned us into a multi-million pound media empire. He has. Multi-million yeah. pounds. It's not even multi-million lira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Turkish no. labour, that is. It's yeah. like succession. Honestly, it is. <laughs> we'll be making a doggo about it. Uh, <laughs> Wardenlaw, Sunday from 11 o'clock. If you can't now, get Leonardo DiCaprio to play me. Mm. No. George Clooney to play me. <laughs> he's, he's well, I obviously, or Patrick Dempsey. Obviously, I have to get played by Matt Damon. Yes. <laughs> obviously. Well, yes. Patrick Dempsey's got a new series coming, hasn't he? He has. Uh... Okay, over the weekend then, bit of motorsport for you while there's nothing else going on. Uh, please tune in. It's good fun. Bradley and I are going back to our roots. We started on karting commentary and we'll be back at Wardenlaw. We are putting outdoor karting, proper racing back in the northeast. It's a fabulous initiative if you can't get up to see us. By the way, if you're in the northeast, come and see us because free entry it is free entry it's a great technical little circuit and we're looking forward to it on Sunday uh, so this is basically just to explain to people uh, who've never heard of it this is a track which is uh, coming back from not hosting any races uh, it hosted races in the past it was a corporate uh, it was a corporate venue which was fine uh, and it hosted some races as well Karting in the UK is going through a little bit of a chip. That's actually something we probably should talk about on the show because there is a, not a split, but there is a moving away from the MSA and and how they run karting. Yes. I've been reading about a lot. I've been doing a lot of research on karting and been very confused by many of these strange breakaways. Yeah, and, and the... The ARCs course, which is mirrors the ARDS course and things like this. And one thing that's happening on Sunday is effectively it's an arrive and drive race meeting where you don't need an MSA license. This has been put on by an individual club, an individual circuit. And it would, and actually we should get somebody on from the MSA to talk about this because it appears that the MSA. Outwardly, it appears that the MSA aren't servicing grassroots motorsport in its most grassroots uh, in the way that venues and karting want it to happen. I am sure there are reasons for that, so right of reply, we will give them that. So maybe we have a word with David Richards about that and somebody from the MSA will get on to that. However, that aside, let's put all that aside. Proper grassroots motorsport from Warden Law on Sunday. If you can't come and see, just outside of Sunderland, just off the A690, on the way from uh, East Harrington out towards Hortonley Spring. It's signposted as well as Karting Northeast uh, and Warden Law Karting. So do come and see us or watch us on uh, uh, RC Racing TV. On YouTube and Facebook, and the link will be on the Movie Motorsport Listeners Collective. And before we anyone starts to write in to complain, we do know that the MSA is not the MSA anymore, but we uh, are referring UK. to it ironically. <laughs> no, we, we, historically. <laughs> uh, historically. Out yes, of, not ironically. Outdatedly. <laughs> but if I say Motorsport UK, I keep thinking I should be saying uh, that'll be on ITV3 on Thursday. And now for the Renault Clears. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and joining me in the commentary box <laughs> is uh, Simon Hill. And Phil Glue. Uh, let's uh, say thank you very much indeed to all of our guests tonight. Uh, fabulous. Uh, Mark Blundell, thank you. And also to our big interview, uh, which was uh, Harrison Newey. Nearly got that wrong. Nearly. I did so well. So well. Uh, 
Ben Constantiris on the line as well as Shea Adam and Declan Brennan. Nick Damon was here with me at Hindoff Towers. Uh, the obviously the responsible adult is everywhere. And up in London, our our responsible executive producer was Tim Greer, and we'll have that all up on the archive as soon as humanly possible. Join us next week at eight o'clock or on YouTube at the weekend. Uh, no time to explain. The Llama is going to Johnny Morlam's birthday party. His 80th. <laughs> you can't say that. It's a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.